there's not a whole lot you can do about room noise other than treat the room noise, but it, from a post-production perspective, there's not much you can do. Yeah. But I feel like we do. We've always done what we can based on like, you know, what my right. skills were at the time. My, I've got, my go skills back. have gotten better. I wonder if you could go back and remaster our earlier episodes. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that would be so <laughs> worth it. <laughs> Start with episode zero. Yeah, Re- re-release them and sell them for twice the price we sold the originals. Uh, why not just a million times? <laughs> yeah. How about a, a previously unreleased content, that, that type of thing? That's what I'm saying, <laughs> the episode zero. I think that's the only that's one true. we have. That's true, yeah. And there is stuff that we, you know, we that does, uh, doesn't make it that gets cut out from the beginning, like before we actually, not before we start recording, but, but the part that gets cut, the lead in before. Oh yeah, and then the stuff our after banter, we after we close, yeah, banter. That would have to be highly censored, or maybe not censored. Maybe it's the it's the <clears throat> not rated. Is that what it's called? You know, explicit, not rated. No, because that's usually when I'm pretty goofy and say stupid. Stuff. And that's what I'm saying. It would be. It had to. Be, it had to be like you know. NC-17. I don't mean goofy in a <laughs> fun way. I mean, like, I'm just stupid. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So <clears throat> one thing I wanted to start with, just follow-up-wise, is did you see any... Because I can't believe I didn't piss people off about this. No comments on the German Pilsner versus Czech Pilsner? No opinions? How is this possible? Because <laughs> not everyone's a beer nerd like you? Well, I think... I've, well, first of all, we probably have more German listeners than Czech listeners. And I was pro Czech Pilsner. But I also think, because <laughs> I, I think we tease that in the channel, in the Slack channel. Somehow. Speaking of that, I need to open up Slack. Just, I don't know, in case something happens while we're recording. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, um, yeah, I think we have more, uh, we have, probably have more German listeners. But I, I think I did a good job of, I, I was clear that my preference was German Pilsner. But I talked about the the historical context, right, and the qualities of the Czech Pilsner and how mm-hmm. some people probably prefer that. I just happen to prefer a German Pilsner. Um, and I also talked about the Dortmunder. But, you know, I did not mention, I thought of this later, it's like I didn't mention that, but just the, also the German Helles is another very similar style. You know I more think about the these beers than I do. Dortmunders would be up north and the Helles would be from more south, mm. I think. Different water. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. I thought there would be some c- controversy around that. <laughs> I didn't see any, though. Did you? No, no. I think there were some comments about the beer, but I, I don't think it was anything. There, yeah. there was no there was no team team Pilsner, team anti-Pilsner. Uh, also, we uh, just a little bit of front matter here. You know, we, we created the new Slack channel based on our meeting we had last week. Oh, the code not clicks? And it's kind of been somewhat dead. <laughs> <laughs> There's been some stuff. I seeded it with a kind of a, a, a silly question that I was noticing at the time. I was having to deal with someone else's code, mm-hmm. and there was just was it mine? It, it was no, no, it wasn't yours. It, your code is a million times better than what I was having to deal with. But there was they were just mixing. You'd see like um, a variable declaration, and it would be an array of some type. But on the initialization side of the equal sign, it would be the the list syntax. Yeah, I'm like really. So that I just I thought, you know what? I wonder what people prefer. And so I asked that. Do you prefer the array syntax or the list interface syntax? I, I made it more complicated. As you do. As I do. And that was that 
if it was a if I just wanted to treat it as an array, meaning I just wanted an array of values, I would use the bracket syntax. So we're saying the the two brackets, and yeah, then if yeah. if otherwise, if I was going to pass it around to other things, then I would make it a list type. Yeah. But I mean, semantically, oh. they're both the same thing. It's not even semantically; or, they're literally the they're same literally thing. the same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 th- I believe, and someone, some platform Salesforce person can correct me on this. I believe one's just an alias. I, mean, I think the array syntax is just an alias to the list, uh, the list syntax. I think they're under the hood; they are the exact same thing. Yeah. It, you know, for example, like in, in the Java language, they're actually not the same thing. I mean, not only is the interface that you deal with different, you know, the array right. interface is different than the list interface, um, but they're actually different. They're different things. They have different behavior and different performance. Absolutely right. Um. Well, in fact, I mean, in Java, and this is one thing about Apex that's weird. In Java, when you say something is a list of something, well, list is an interface. It's not even an, imp- an implementation. So right. to say the performance is different, we have to, we have to figure out, well, is it, is it an, an array list or a linked list? What kind of list is it? Right. And then you can talk about, and in, sales, in Apex land, I believe list is probably just maps to an array list or some similar implementation. So... Whatever. What difference at this point does it make? The truth is, it really doesn't make a difference. <laughs> All right. Well, that's. Do you have any other so, follow-up? So, do you think you, you think we should keep it, or you think it's, or you think we just haven't had an opportunity, like, to really blast it with some code? Oh, the the channel. Um. Oh no, I think I think we should keep it. It just yeah, nothing. I just haven't. I don't know. Nothing really interesting has has come up, but it'll happen. I guess probably. Yeah. We'll see. The other thing is, you know, people, it, <laughs> it's not apparent to people that there's a new channel. Because it doesn't show up. It doesn't you show. To, you have, you to, have to, to go right. find it. Yeah, if you don't know about it, then you don't know to go look for it. And you have to expand the little channels plus tree Yeah, thingy. where it says on the left-hand side right. on the app, there's channels, you click the plus, and then you got to f- search for it, right? I uh, know. It just shows or up it in just the shows list. Up, yeah. yeah. John, speaking of our Slack community, uh, you know, how would people get into this thing if they're not already in. How do you get in this Slack community? <laughs> I love how you set me up for an advertisement here. Well, Jeremy, you go to www.gooddaysirpodcast.com. I'm not going to finish that. That sounds so lame. <laughs> www.gooddaysirpodcast.com forward slash community. And there you can provide us your email address and your bank account and routing number, and we will give you access. No, not the bank account part. Uh, we'll give you access to this channel. John will. John, will, John does something. I've been getting better about it. As soon as I get them, I've been I've been able to kind of log in really quick and add people. So I'm, I'm hoping yeah. that's helping. Yeah, I have no idea how long you sit on those sometimes because I don't even see those. Well, the only thing is sometimes on the weekend I'm either really busy or I'm spending time with the kids. So sometimes if they come in during the day on the weekend, I don't see them, but um, until later. But I am really trying to to make sure I get them get them going. And I, I do highly suggest people who are if if you if this. If the thing types of things we talk about on this podcast are interesting to you, even if we do a horrible job and butcher them, um, you probably should check out our Slack community because it turns out that probably that community is more valuable than us sitting here and talking. Um, I, and you know, that's one thing that <laughs> I never than us is that what you're saying? Most of them probably are, um, but that's something I never expected. Out of, I mean, of course, when we started doing this, we had just you know it was not serious and, and still not serious. I mean, it just it's something that we kind of. We do take time to do, and that's the serious part. It's just it we takes, take it takes it time. Seriously. We do, yeah, we kind of do, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we've just from the time aspect alone. I mean, hell, we we have a, a studio. We turn this thing into a, a podcast studio here, and equipment, and again, time. 
but it's still, I mean, it's, uh, we're still very lighthearted about it. But I mean, I, anyway, I, I would have never guessed that uh, the thing that turns out to be the most interesting is, is the community. And, the, you know, whether it was Slack or something else, I mean, the Slack was a, a mechanism for us to, to actually come together and, and be able to communicate. Mm-hmm. But I think that was, that was like single-handedly the best thing, the decision we've ever made is to go ahead and create that. Um, and what was a lot the of smart people. Of it? Was it just to kind of give people a chance to tell us where we were right or wrong? Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, just to give some feedback and, and maybe people would just want to, would want to, you know, chat and, and care and continue the conversation. And it just turns out that's a really valuable thing, but it's a lot of smart people. And it's, it's also, it's a, it's a huge range. And it's, don't be intimidated. I mean, there's, there's beginners, there's programming experts, there's people who, you know, couldn't write a line of code to save their life. It's kind of across the board. Um, I think most people are probably interested in Salesforce since that's kind of our main topic, but um, yeah, so it's a very helpful community as well. All right, moving on. Any other front matter? Business follow-up? All right. I wanted to start out, my first thing is this, uh, there's an article somebody wrote, his name is Don Denoncourt, I guess, and it's called Getting Older in Tech. Did you see this? I saw the first part of it because you sent it to me. I did. Okay. Oh, yeah. I just thought it would be a good to, thing to discuss. So this guy is, he sounds like he's been a software developer his whole life, software engineer. Um, he uh, He's probably, I don't recall his exact age, I'm guessing his late 50s or 60s. And, you know, there's there, there's always been the question, I think in just in general, of, of age discrimination. But I think particularly in in software development, um, and in, in and even in certain areas where it's, it's I think it's viewed viewed to be really bad. And you've had the thing uh, that remember the Dan Lyons book, the one where he had a chapter where he kind of t- went after Benioff and Dreamforce, but also the, really the whole book. What was that called? Um, I forgot. Yeah, I'll have to t- Google as I talk, but which I'm not very good at. Disrupted. But he went to work at HubSpot, so he was like a, a journalist and whatever, but he, he took a job with HubSpot to become some kind of marketing whatever, I don't know. And he really just discovered that it's kind of just this sweatshop with, you know, a very, a very churn-oriented, very age, kind of age, a lot of age discrimination. Um, and it's not, like, it's not that we didn't know there was bad age discrimination, especially in Silicon Valley. It's a, probably a big problem in San Francisco. Um, but no, this guy just, you know, he wrote an article talking about, or a blog post, what, whatever the difference is, about age discrimination and just, you know, not necessarily to sit around and cry about it and whine and, you know, ask people to pass laws, mm-hmm. but just to say, what do you, we know, what's the deal here and what can you do about it? Um, but he points out, you know, he says, let's look at the average age of IT workers at well-established companies. So guess what the average age is at Facebook? I don't know, 20-something. 28. LinkedIn's 29, Google's 30. And he says, uh, yeah, so, so the average age of workers in the U.S. is 42. Wow, we're almost, we're almost at that average point, John. Speak for yourself, I'm still in my 20s. Yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah. Um, but he says, you know, I want to stress the importance of being young and technical. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Here's a quote. This is a Mark Zuckerberg quote at an event he held at Stanford. It's a quote. I want to stress the importance of being young and technical. Young people are just smarter. So even though... I, I love I, how just, just the generalization of just young people. Oh, you're well, young. You're super smart. And, and I bet you, that, uh, what's his name? Zuckerberg would, would backpedal from that and, and probably 
dis uh, disown that. I can tell you when comment. I was in my 20s, I was not very smart. I was kind of dumb. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't know. You just, they're experienced. And especially if you're, if you are the type of person that's always trying to learn new things and, and get better at things, then you probably are a lot smarter and you've just been around longer and you're, you've just got this wisdom. But I mean, there are incredibly smart, you know, 25 year olds right out of their masters and CS and, you know, they could probably code, you know, algorithms in their sleep. Right. Yeah. But I'm not but, talking about just book smarts. I'm just talking about decisions yeah, w- w- and right. the way you carry yourself and there's, you know, your, your goals in life at that point in time are different. Yep. You know, it's all about looking and being yep. cool and, uh, I don't know. Establish, I, 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 trying to establish yourself as successful. I feel like you're kind of, that's a little bit of attack on young people just to say they're only interested in how they look and whatever. If they're going to generalize, I can generalize. Is that the, is that the, that's yes. what it is? Yes. If, if young people are just by default smarter, then I can say that all young people by default are all just trying to be cool and. Yeah, John, well, two wrongs don't make a right, okay? Can your mom ever tell you that? Yeah, but going in circles is fun. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's see. Another thing he says, uh, when I hear someone say, we were just talking about this, when I see hear someone say they have 20 years of experience, I wonder if that's really true or if they've merely had one year of experience 20 times. That's a good point. You see that a lot. These guys lot. that just, they're just kind of career nine to five, do, you know, dudes, dudettes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they were kind, they're kind of as good as they were 20 years ago. With a very specific skill set. Or within a certain box, yeah. And a lot of them, I mean, you you see this. They they hang around like they started. I mean, I can remember when I was younger, and I would see these guys who were, you know, let's say sixty, and they were what's it RPG programmers, right? Mm-hmm. And they were literally doing the exact same thing they were doing twenty years before that in the exact same way. And even uh, I I think it's either this article or another one I was I was reading through, and we'll of course post this in the, the show notes. But he was talking about how um, uh, someone was talking about how they, they went to teach a class, Java uh, class to a, a group of RPG programmers. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he customized the, the content of the class, this particular session, knowing where these RPG programmers were coming from, like what their base knowledge was. And so he could contract, compare and contrast how Java works to that. And, but he, what he didn't account for was the fact that none of them had learned like quote unquote modern RPG, which is which can be like more modular, and there's you know kind of there was better ways of doing things. They were all still doing like the twenty year old, um, old school old school RPG, <laughs> and they they were those people that you know just twenty years of of or you know one year of experience just t- multiplied times twenty. And it, well, actually, it was in this. I see it now. He was that was his story. Really funny. But he says, if you plan on being in the IT field for more than 10 years, you need to be a lifelong learner. Um, I've always been a lifelong learner. I've learned and developed with numerous programming languages, frameworks, and strategies. As a result, I've honed my learning skills. I mean, you're, you're a, you didn't go to school for software engineering. Um, I didn't either. I mean, I, I ended up going to school for business, which, which is actually way after I learned you know, programming. I was even a professional developer. So we're, you know, I think we're, we fit right in that category of, of self-taught. And also, you know, most of the programmers that I run into or work with or deal with, most of them do seem to be self-taught. 
you know, some of them either didn't finish college or they didn't go to school for programming or they, you know, they, yeah, they're, they were music majors or, um, you know, math majors or something like that or something even non STEM related, like I said, music, it would be an example. Um, but if you have that aptitude and that, that learning ability to just to sit down and teach yourself, then uh, it's one of those things you can, you can learn. I mean, I'm always, you know, you know how I'm with my book lists and everything. <laughs> but I'm always trying to learn. I do feel like, you know, there's this, there's this uh, theory that as you get older, it's harder to learn. Do you, what do you think? How do you feel about that? You find it harder for you to learn new things. It's just, you know, you're, you're pushing a little bit uphill. No, you know, I, I started out thinking that, but what I found the real issue is, it, is it's harder because when you're older, you have a lot more responsibilities. It's harder to find the time. You know, I was younger, I could sit all yeah. night uninterrupted, order a pizza and read through a bunch of tech documents and practice and play around. At home, we've got kids, we've got dinner, we've got to get them to bed. They want, they want, they want to spend time with their dad. Yep. <laughs> you know, so it's hard to find just a good amount of uninterruptible time to, to study. So I don't necessarily feel like if I do read something, I'm not comprehending it or it just doesn't make sense <clears throat> any more so than it did, you know, 10 years ago. What I do find, though, is just finding that time to... To actually read, study, and then practice, and and time when you're you still have some freshness left, right? I mean, you know, a lot of us try to you know squeeze an hour or two in at, at night after the kids are in bed or whatever. Um, but you know that those are never for me. It was just so funny because when I was young, it was the opposite. But nowadays, those are not great. Those are not real productive hours for me. Yeah, it's just not. I think another thing that that um, hinders me at times when it comes to new things is I almost kind of wish. I don't, I don't know how to approach this, but I, I think ignorance is bliss, I'll say, in that right now, when I go to start something, I do it with the foresight of all the experiences before. You know, I need to have, you know, a certain amount of security built in. I need to abstract that a certain way because of X, Y, Z. When I was younger, I didn't care about that stuff. I just built it. I just wanted to, I built it to see what works, what came in, what came out. I didn't worry about security. I didn't worry about error handling. I didn't worry about any of that. I put a a box on the screen and let you input and then ran a bunch of logic and saw what happened today. You know, with the way my mind works, I'm more, when I go to do something, even, even if I'm just practicing, I tend to try to inject a lot of error handling, a lot of all this, you know, layer, maybe unnecessarily at that point in time to the code, uh, just based on, you know, my default mode of programming. Well, yeah, I think you, you're thinking more like an engineer than a, than a coder. You know, I mean, yeah. pe- I know there's the, the debates on what what the all these words mean. What is software engineering, and what you know? But if some people, you know, use the term you know software engineer uh, to distinguish or to, to to draw a contrast between that and like a a developer mm-hmm. or a programmer. Yeah, like I even get frustrated with some of these. Like a lot of these languages, they have these live tools online where you can just type some code and it starts working, and you can see it happening. And it's kind of meant to be this kind of demo kind of training get your foot in the door module yep. and those frustrate me because i know it's not real world i know that there's no way but you the requirements yeah, and, but and you know what's gonna be this, those this aren't simple. for you though you know what those are for and they some a lot of them do a really good job of that i mean if listen if if to to learn hello world you had to set up a testing framework and you know database initialization scripts and everything no one would no one would ever get started i mean that's true so they serve their purpose and he talks about it in here also that how um uh, one thing people say it's, it's very hard to learn uh, just a second natural language, spoken language, when you're older. Well, and, fortunately for us, I mean everything 
these days is C-based in terms of syntax and language. No, not everything. There's a lot of stuff that's not. I know, but a lot of the stuff I interact with, I mean, Java C-based, which is based on Java, or well, sorry, JavaScript, which is based on Java. Java's like, well, almost 30 years old. And C-sharp, which is based on a C language. And, yeah. I mean, the most of the stuff I interact with well, are, are I th- C. I th- well, yeah, and I, th- I think you, you probably gravitate to the C syntax. And, and I know you do. But I mean, there are but, new things, like HTML and CSS. I mean, those were new concepts to me. Well, even CSS is kind of C-based with the curly brackets and things, but... What is HTML? CSS. CSS. Yeah, a little bit. Um, but yeah, you know, you, there's, there's, you know, Ruby, right? Python, mm-hmm. those are definitely not C-looking. Yeah, and there's some other, I don't know what they're, template or prototype languages that kind of try to get rid of all of the extra... Visual punctuations yeah. and things like that, yep. that, you know, an if is just an if. There's no parentheses, there's none of that. You just, it tries to be a lot cleaner and... Of course, you got the extreme of that to avoid symbols, I guess, which, and I hate this, but like bash scripting, oh, yeah. where like, you know, you start a case statement and how do you close a case statement? Right. ESAC. <laughs> <laughs> or how do you end an if? Fee or fi. Fee, fi, fo, fum. <laughs> but now he says he started learning Italian when he was 20, 52 years old. He says, now I read and listen to novels written or spoken in, ta- in Italian on a daily basis, and I'm way past even just conversational Italian. Like, he's like an expert Italian now. Wow. It's pretty awesome. I feel like I've been trying to learn Spanish for 30 years. I was going to say, I'd love to learn a second language. Yeah. <laughs> I'm decent on Spanish, but I've, I've been able to retain my Spanish because I find places and people to use it with. I'm st- I still suck, but... I don't, I'm not getting, I'm not getting worse. I'm retaining. I don't even try anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, my, my uh, grandparents and my father aren't too happy with me. So he makes another point here and he says, I often say that I'm, I'm only as good as what I've accomplished in the last two years. I could tell you about all my accomplishments over three decades, such as replacing the use of a system three punch card system with AS 400 or some COBOL debugger or whatever, you know, this is boring. What you do care about are the things I did in the last two years, things like learning and developing with Elasticsearch or configuring multiple applications on AWS, you know, setting up Docker, Docker Lightweight Containers, uh, converting a Rails 2 to Rails 4.2, upgrading Ruby, blah, 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 you know, making more effective use of GitHub. Right? Um, it's like, you know, forget my age. Like, all you care about is what I did in the last two years anyway. And that's, that's actually a pretty good point. Yeah. Um, I just highlight some of his other topics just to see if we wanted to learn uh, talk about these. But he says, you know, no, what does this mean? No work is an opportunity to learn. What does that mean? No work is an opportunity to learn. I guess during those downtimes where you don't have anything to do. Oh, that's what he's. That's exactly what he's talking about. Yeah, he said if you're between jobs or you know whatever, you don't have to be employed to get experience. Do your own startup. You know, with things like Heroku and AWS. I mean, you can run stuff for free or almost free. You know, come up with some idea and just build it out. Mm-hmm. Put it on GitHub publicly. It's really no excuse. I mean, it's everything. I mean, things are amazingly accessible nowadays. I mean, when I look at what I had to do to start programming, I mean, I had to go get a twenty-five hundred dollar loan in nineteen ninety-one or two to go buy a computer, and that took a lot of frying of tacos to pay that thing back. You know, nowadays, like everyone's got a computer and it's, ext- I mean, and I, you know, I think I had, it had basic, but I had to go buy, I went and bought Turbo Pascal 
Because nothing, I mean, none of the stuff was free back then or that basic I knew was about. Free, basic it? was free. Yeah. yeah and I had, actually, I had learned basic because I had that, I think it was an Atari XE. And if you didn't put a cartridge in, it was a game system, but it had a keyboard. If you didn't put a cartridge in, it booted right into basic. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where I first learned basic. But, um, another thing, he, I, I, I like this, and this is something I probably should work on. But he says, you know, he says, be and look fit as in healthy. Mm. But don't worry about looking younger. He says, I don't think, as some career counselors recommend, that you should you know, try to look younger with hair dye or plastic surgery. But what you should do is exude energy. To remain relevant in an industry that seems fixated on youth, it's crucial to be spirited. He says, an, in, an overweight 50-something wheezing smoker does not suggest vitality. No, it doesn't. I do think people are attracted to energy. I think so. You know, if you go into a place and, you know, you're, you know, 60 years old, but you're, you look like you're full of life, you act like it, you sound like it, you, you're doing the things he talks about, you know, learning things on, you know, on your own time and you're staying up to date. I mean, it, you know, I don't know if that's, if they're still not, a, if you're still not an attractive candidate to, you know, some company, that's probably because they're a bunch of bigoted buttholes and you should not work for them. <laughs> There's the title, Bigoted Buttholes. <laughs> oh. He says, be interesting. Don't be a couch potato. You know, don't be bored in an interview. Be interesting. Get a hobby. I need a hobby. You do need a hobby. All you do, you know, you... I have plenty of hobby I talk, I talk about how I try to squeeze an hour or two in at night. You try to squeeze like nine hours in at night. Yeah. That's not a hobby. <laughs> I can't, I can't, work can't be my hobby? No. <laughs> and the uh, last thing I just want to mention, he says, is uh, you know, you should be willing to take a cut in salary for new opportunities. Uh, th- that depends on where you're at in life. If it is. That, if that, you got a young yep. family, that's kind of hard to do. Maybe once your kids are in high school or in college, you know, maybe that's the time to start doing that. In terms, of, in terms of the context of this conversation with with age, uh, yeah. But with a young family, I mean, that's my priority is making sure I can put food and. Cl- clothes and let well, them have can, their sport activities and all that kind of stuff. Considering that my, I mean, I could pay a nice house payment now with my, with my health insurance premium. Yeah. You know, I don't really have the capability. <laughs> I can't, I'm not afforded the opportunity to have a reduction in pay. Right. Exactly. <clears throat> so anyway, well, anyway, that was that. Well, those were words, wi- words of wisdom. I think so. And I like his approach. I like that he, I like the approach and the stories he told, and it wasn't just this whining, you know, we need laws, we need that. Like you said, it, it was just, it was practical, it was pragmatic. And, and I got to say, I mean, this is something that I do think about more as I get older, because it's kind of funny. I, I feel like I almost distinctly remember the first time that I wasn't the young guy in the room, because I started in business young. I, didn't even, I hadn't finished my bachelor's degree. I was basically 19 when I got my first 19 or 20 when I got my first programming job. Of course, you know, it's all downhill from there, but. I think I, I really didn't feel it because I've been kind of my own. And but I, don't you remember when you were like always the youngest guy? You were like that young, you know, I was the young smart ass. I was always on my own though. I was kind of always this kind of hidden IT guy that could program some stuff. That, and so it's kind of always my, on my See, own. I managed to welcome myself in all the management meetings and stuff. <laughs> and that's kind of how I, well, I guess in terms of the people above me, but that, that, that it wasn't like my peers. I wasn't like the youngest of my peers. 
and that I, I didn't really experience that very much. See, I, I was for the longest time, and I, that's I do. You know, at, at some point, it's just like, wow, I'm not I'm not the youngest guy here anymore. And now I'm just like, now it's just like, you know, okay, I'm the, I mean, I'm not old, but you know, I am what I am. You know, almost forty. But I'm not, you know, I'm not this young, smart, you know, fresh guy who, you know, whatever. I mean, I, and I wonder, do people look at me and think, well, he's not going to know the latest stuff. He's not going to be able to build like the coolest app because he's just, he's 40. You know, and like this, we have these, this 27 year old, he's probably just going to be way more up to speed on these things. I mean, I wonder if people think that. I don't know. I don't either, but it's something that I, you know, I've thought about. How can they tell? I mean, most of the work we do is remote anyways. It, it's not, and it's, it's definitely, it's not a fair way. I'm not saying it's fair or whatever. I'm just saying, you know, is that just human nature that people kind of might think that? Like they meet you the first time and they go, oh God, he's old. I thought he was like young. I thought we were well, going to go out and have, have a good time after this meeting, but he's old. He might need to go home and take some fiber or something. <laughs> I just think, it, I, just, <laughs> I keep it in the office. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I mean, surely that's that happens where you know you you uh, hiring managers they they look through a list of resumes like oh this guy looks good comes in it's like and, and it's just like it's like oh I mean you don't you obviously don't say anything out loud but maybe they're like oh my gosh I had, I had no idea he was made that old and is that that's that's a, it's maybe surprising but is that necessarily a bad thing you know and no, yeah, I, I don't know people, I think people everybody has their biases you know you know it's, it's a theory that everyone has their biases tribalism is and and centrism and whatever all these things are it's built into our dna you know just this idea that everyone's a little racist and, and all that i mean whether or not you believe all those things are, i mean i definitely think i think tribalism certainly is a thing and and also just just a lack of some people you know just don't have a wide perspective they just if it's not kind of like them I mean, this is the problem of uh you know companies that uh, are employ you know a bunch of white dudes and all they hire is a bunch of white dudes mm. it it's even it can be not from an, a, a, position, a point of intentional malice. It's just kind of nature. It's like you can relate to them. They walk in the room like, oh, cool. It's another bro. Yeah, let's sit down, man. Let's just, let's just get through this interview real quick. And then we'll, it's a formality. I hope and then, it's not that well, way. I'm just, I hope they're, John, I'm just saying that happens because it's, again, not, not out of necessarily out of malice. It's just, it's, it's human nature. And that's why, you know, you got, you know, as much as sometimes we, we might have some criticism of, the tactics involved, you know, you got guys like Benioff, they're like, you know, we have to, and, and it's not just him, there's, there's a lot of them, they're just like, we, ha- we have to explicitly fight against those tendencies. Mm. In other words, by hiring more women, hiring more minorities. Yeah, yeah. The quotas. Yeah, because Salesforce, I mean, is, you know, again, and the, the other problem they have is, you know, you can't really, I don't think you can blame them that much, and I think Benioff largely, a lot of times, falls on a sword that's not even there. Mm-hmm. Because you can all, I mean, your hiring pool is what it is. You want to hire software engineers in San Francisco? It's 90% white dudes, okay? Good luck trying to find a bunch of women of color to fill these engineering roles. There's some, but not near enough. Well, especially so, if not, if you, if, especially not if you want to take uh, Jeremy's hiring advice and fire no, hire nothing but A players, <laughs> then your pool is extremely small. <clears throat> it's not they have to hire nothing but A players. That's what you said. Well, no, because I, I think you also have to have. Well, again, it's different companies are different. I, I feel like Google is one of these companies. For example, like yeah, they backpedaling on no, 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 no. It's just there's some subtlety to it. Um, you're making it more complicated than it needs to be, Jeremy. If there's not, <laughs> you have to you have to be fueling, especially these big companies that are this churn a lot. You have to be fueling your your workforce with with 
people who you can develop. Sure. But just because you're not, you know, the super experienced person, that doesn't mean that you're not smart and you didn't do some like badass stuff in your computer science program and, you know, some cool intern stuff and like you're really smart, right? You're, you might, that kind of makes you an A player. You're just, you're a junior A player. You, you got your degree without using code gen. <laughs> without using process builder. <laughs> process builder is a code gen. No, we had, we had, we, we hired someone that we found out likely only got their degree because they used code gen because they couldn't code anything. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, remember back in the, that was our bad. We hired. Well, in fact, you know what I forgot to mention in the last episode? I pointed out on Slack, but we have hired H one Bs before, right? We didn't. We just we should probably just for uh, full disclosure should have mentioned that. Right? We have hired H one Bs. You and I have. But remember back in those days, we know because Jeremy was cheap. No, that's not what it is. <laughs> you, you, why? Okay, let me ask you this because we did not talk about this before. Why did we end up hiring H one Bs? I think because we couldn't find. Anything. We literally yeah. could not find permanent residents or citizens at the time. Well, and, and then, I mean, Salesforce development isn't what it is today. It was, we were building outside of Salesforce. It wasn't only about a year or so after that that we got Apex and Visual Force. Or maybe it was right around that time. Yeah. And so we were looking for developers who were willing to help us develop stuff on top of this. And so it, it, it was a very specific skill set we were looking for. We were looking for, you know, people who had good skills with data Coding because we we basically did it all. We did data migration, yeah, workflow, um, a lot of email stuff too. A lot of email stuff. Email stuff. Yeah, notifications because there's no workflow for notifications. Th- everyone, think about all the workflows you have that send emails that didn't used to be there. Didn't exist. Yeah, you know, Jeremy and I, we built, well, built our career. I mean, workflow <laughs> didn't. Work, Salesforce workflow didn't exist. Yeah, that was so, not. I mean, we we literally wrote systems that would ping the system every so often and go, oh, "Is there some emails I need to send out?" Here you go. Right. Anyway, that kind of stuff, I'm glad they code us out of a job for. I mean, there, there are certain things that, you know, oh, yeah, there were just yeah. lower level stuff that I'm, I'm happy that workflow does it. I'm happy that right. they have, you know, process builder to take care of that and the kind of stuff. But don't you find, I mean, I find myself <clears throat> passing on stuff all the time that's just like, I mean, I, I wouldn't mind doing that. It'd be good money, but it's, it's truly, it's a lower value thing. And someone who makes less, you know, money than me that's, that, that's at that point in their career should probably do that. It's just not a good use of my time. Fair enough. Yeah. Especially if it's something that I'm just like, I've done literally that exact thing like a hundred times and it's, it's, well, that will bore me to death if I do that. I'm greedy. I take it all. What? Well, <laughs> I promise you, you take, you, you take more than you can handle. No, it just happens that way. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I, I like saying yes. I love, I love you playing, I like trying to play yes. innocent here. The world is so much better when you say yes. Yeah. Until it, until it falls on you and... <clears throat> I have a, I have a, I've, uh, this is kind of an ask John, just, I need some advice here. Yes. You should change your hairstyle. So let's say, and I'll, I'm going to try to just, so to totally anonymize this, let's say you, you know, have someone that says, Hey, you know, we want it and we, we're going to get Salesforce, mm-hmm. but we have this accounting system mm-hmm. and we want to integrate this accounting system. And it's, let's say it's not, it's not a no name accounting system, but it's not super popular. It's not like, a, it's not like QuickBooks where there's known like good app exchange integrations for them it's let's say there's this in this situation there's maybe one or two app there's a, there are a couple of app exchange products that says that they integrate with these mm-hmm. but you know they've been around for two or three years and they only have like a couple of reviews 
and it's by a company that's kind of that's not only small but it's kind of shady. Um, when you look at when you look them up on LinkedIn, literally none of their employees are actually engineers or programmers or anything. It's just nothing but like a president, a vice president, a couple of salespeople. Mm-hmm. And the, and so you're what what this person wants to know is John. I want your advice on do I for me to integrate this my accounting system with Salesforce? Do I use one of these App Exchange products? Or should I just have you build me the integration so that so that I know I'm not going to hit some limit or I'm going to hit some problem and I can't get past it? That's a good one because I, I I try not to inject myself into the choice, but but I do like to at least say you know if if you don't feel comfortable with the product and you know you're not you don't especially when we're talking about accounting you know you want to kind of feel comfortable with that integration. They don't even know what comfort level to have. That's why they're asking you because they don't they don't know. I what what I do is I estimate the co- the cost of the custom development and what I think it's going to take to do, and the advantages and the and the and the disadvantages of it, and I present that to them and I say, okay, here's here's the custom coding route, and here's the pros and cons of that, and I, I really try to push that decision back on them. I really do not like being involved in that decision. Yep, it's just it's just one of those things that you know. But they're looking for a recommendation. I know, you. and I know exactly, and I get asked that all the time. You know, what should we get? What and they're gonna and they're gonna do whatever you recommend. And and. I, and actually, I've kind of been in that role where it was my job to to do that evaluation, and that meant you know calling up like ten vendors off the Gartner list because that was, it was just, it was a starting point. Yep. And so I'd, I'd find people in the in the right quadrant and pick them and call them up and say, "Okay, oh my gosh, tell me your you tell actually me what you pick got people based on their quadrant." I did. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> you you needed a starting point. Hang on, uh, that that is a good opportunity for my new soundboard clip here. Look, Jeremy. It's uh, how about this one? Okay. Nope. <laughs> Solution architecting. All right. Solution architecting is a whole different beast. It's 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 one that took me by surprise in terms of skill set and the amount of just mental energy involved in trying to pull this okay. off. Just the fact that this there's something called solution architecting. Yes, that was my. It's job a, title. that is a bull bit bit term. Well, it was my job title. Is architect even a verb? To architect, I'm solution architecting. Architecting, I don't think that's a verb. Essentially, my job was to go and figure out what the best tool to use for a particular requirement. So, if I got a requirement for marketing, I have to go out and find all the marketing tools and figure out how that works best and how it works best within our environment. You know, our data warehousing. You know, how it attaches to Salesforce or how it touches attaches to SAP, and work that out, and then say, okay, here's our options. These will work for us. Did you do a big upfront design? It wasn't designed. This this was presenting tools and options and architecting the interactions between it. It wasn't implementation. It was just... But was, you picked the tools? You suggested the tools up front? That's what they wanted when, you to when do? When I got a requirement, I would have to go out and find options. And that meant finding vendors, finding custom, finding... It's far away. It's like, way, it's like down here. I keep moving it. It's just drooping down. A little droopy today. <laughs> I will ask you to not look at my mic. <laughs> Hold on. This, this, that just. Yeah. <laughs> you make me want to drink. I have that effect on people. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no. So, so my when I got the requirement, my job was to go out and find options, and, and you know, it, some of it would be an option for custom development. Some of it would be an option for vendors and and the and the capabilities there. 
And then, you know, once, once we had a good feel or once I had a good feel for what vendors served our needs the best, cause it's never perfect. There's no, you know, complete overlap on the Venn diagram. It's there's, there's some middle ground there. It's a bunch of gray area. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and then I'd have to work out, you know, okay, if we do get this, here's how we interact with it. This is, you know, and, and figure that out and then present it and say, okay, of these options that I presented, what should we do? Cause it's not my money. It's the business, the business's money and they have to decide. So even, even in that job, I, I would never come and say, yes, pick this one right here. So my default is always to present options yeah. and to let the person who's spending the money decide because it's not my money. Yep. That's just tough because <clears throat> I'm out, I don't know, I always want to make sure that if it, if it makes more sense to buy something or if you, if, usually, I mean, if you can buy something that fits the bill, that's better to buy than build. Almost that, always. That's, that's definitely part of the, <coughs> the pro of, 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 you know, bringing in something from the app exchange is you don't, it's already built, you get the support. Um, ideally, you're getting ongoing updates, well, and that's a question. Like, what kind of support are you get? Right. <clears throat> and those are things. Those are the questions you ask in the sales cycle. And of course, everyone's blowing smoke up your butt, so you have to find out. You have to kind of work out what's real and and un, you know. Yep. You know, could they buy me a twenty dollars steak or could they buy me a fifty dollars steak? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I thought I'd just get your opinion on that. I felt like I danced around it, but. Yep. Uh, ultimately, it's not our decision. It shouldn't be our decision. I don't think. No, but I, in this situation, I know, I know they're just going to say, well, just tell us what you recommend. In that case, I, I, I would default to saying, okay, let me build it then. Because I'm the only one that can, I, I can only guarantee my work, not exactly not someone else's work. Because you can, if you, if you put some product as a dependency in the mix here, now, now that's your, I don't want to say it's your weakest link. It's just, it's a dependency. And mm-hmm. it's, it can become, you can be hamstrung by it. Right. All right. <clears throat> Anything uh, you want to go over? Got any topics? We're pausing. We're pausing. A little bit of uh, respiratory action going on here or something. I was trying not Ga- to be rude. That's more gastric action, I think, is the more correct. Let's <laughs> try not to be rude. Gastric I th- action. I thought I had a burp coming. <laughs> oh, Jerry. Oh, it's on your mind, John. I know, you, I know you've got some topics burning a hole in your pocket. I don't. I've got other stuff. I can just keep going. <clears throat> but I don't want you to, you know, later accuse me of dominating the the, the show here. Well, that's why I'm being quiet so I can accuse you of that. <laughs> you're lulling, you're luring me into that. You're, it's a trap. It's a trap. <laughs> All right. So, um, I just, you know, have you seen the news on this tech, tech summit or whatever it's called that uh, our president-elect Trump is uh, going to be hosting? Oh, the, Yeah. Like there's more more details and like little leaks trickling every day, but so, so far I think we know that um, Tim Cook, uh, Apple CEO, is going to be there. Google's Larry Page, Facebook's uh, Sheryl Sandberg, uh, your 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 buddy Satya Nadella, Satya Satya Satya. Um, I see my buddy. I mean, I like him and everything. Uh, I want him to be my buddy. I don't know. Uh, IBM CEO Ginny Rometty. Uh, uh, Cisco CEO Chuck Robbins and Intel CEO Brian Krasnick and uh, supposedly um, Mr. Elon Musk, the famous, the genius. So why isn't Benioff on the list? Well, in the final, unless there's an Oracle CEO, Safra Katz or Safra Katz. I don't know how you say this. So not even Ellison. Well, Oracle, it's 
Well, Safra is their CEO. Ellison resigned yeah, from true. CEO. Yeah, that's right. He's just board, head of the board, right? Yeah, and gives really boring keynotes. I don't. I don't. Uh, that's debatable, arguable. You I mean, he so? did give us darker, lightweight containers. He just sits up there and you can't do this with Salesforce. Yeah, so that's what I want to know. Where's Mr. King of San Francisco? I mean, he's like you know this outspoken. Well, he he's only at eight, he's, he's got, only at eight billion right now, or on track to do eight billion. I mean, who has a tower taller than him in San Francisco? Well, it's not built yet. But the it, I think the tower is already taller than the the TransUnion one. I know. It's gonna be a big building. It's gonna be tall. I mean, yeah, it's got to be the tallest. I mean, oh, it's gonna it's gonna have to be. They'll they'll stick a like a hundred foot spire on that thing. They will if they yeah. have to make it the tallest in San Francisco. Go tall or go home. Yeah, um, I just found that interesting because I mean, I mean, I think almost all of these CEOs, maybe with the exception of the Oracle one, were were not Trump supportive of Trump, I mean, and, and and most of them were pretty much outright critical. So it's it's not. My point is, it's not like uh, you had to be a Trump supporter to get invited to this, right? Yeah. Another um, <clears throat> conspicuous non-invitee was the Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey. Doesn't he sound like a private eye or something, that, that name? You know, most of these companies are fairly significant globally. I wonder if maybe that has something to do with it. I mean, Salesforce is kind of global. But, I mean, they're growing globally, but, you know, their main I mean, Facebook is here. In- Facebook's not any more global than Salesforce is. Yeah, it is. I mean, in many countries, sales, Facebook is not the dominant social network, mm. right? I don't, I'm just guessing. I'm trying to guess. Well, isn't what, there, what's the one in South America that's really big? There's a different one. And they have like, you know, WhatsApp is giant there. And I, I don't know. I, WhatsApp would be what I guessed. Uh, let's see. What so, do you think they're going to talk about? Well, I have a quote here. I believe this is from Ms. Katz. 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 I plan to tell the president-elect that we are with him and here to help in any way we can. Uh, she says, if he can reform the tax code, reduce regulation, and negotiate better trade deals, the U.S. technology community will be stronger and more competitive than ever. Hmm. But anyway, as these, so there's, I, I think it's, this has been nothing but leaks, other, other than the kind of that statement that she made. It's just, just these the details of this have been trickling in, but the the headlines have been hilarious, and there was a bunch I, I missed, but I I copied and pasted some of them here just so we'd have them. Uh, Silicon Valley faces its reckoning with Trump. <laughs> Trump and Silicon Valley's elite seek to smooth over frictions. Tech leaders couldn't beat Trump. They'll meet him instead. That's even got a rhyme in there. Got a rhyme. This is a lot of clickbaiting going on. Tech gods to tower. <laughs> uh, Donald Trump is the Michael Bay of politics. And that was... <laughs> uh, and then, the, let's see. Will Trump make Silicon Valley kiss the ring at his high-tech summit? This this is tech journalism, people. It really is. I, I uh, uh, speaking of tech journalism, our friend, uh, what is her name? We were talking about her today. The uh, the Recode. Mm-hmm. You know, Miss. Uh, I give money to lesbians. Right. Remember that one? Yeah. Remember this one? Nice. Her. Her. <laughs> oh yeah. Nice. So she wrote an article the other day. Help you up on that stool. And it was. It was the most whining. It's the one that ended with 
literally the last sentence of this this uh, article was the F word for like four or five times in a row. Mm. That was the sentence. F, 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 F. And yeah. I, think it, I think the title of it also started out with something like, okay, so. And I'm like, really? It started a, a, a title with okay, so. And that just tells you right there, there are no editors. I mean, there are no editors anymore. No. Well, I think, I think journalism as, in, as a term in general has kind of been blurred. The line has been blurred by opinion blogs and, and everything else at podcasts and <laughs> whoever else wants to try to call themselves a journalist, which we don't. Um, but there are people who, who do what we do either in blog form or in podcast form or vlog form, and they call themselves journalism, but it's really just opinions. It's these opinion topics, these, you know. I'm even fine with that. I like opinions. I just. That's I'm, fine. But, the, but to label them as journalism, to, to create this umbrella of we are this jur- the tech journalism site, and then you post crap like that, it's like, Come on. Well, even even if you look at the people that are working for Fortune and Forbes, which are supposedly journalistic, I think I think publications, they've they've just turned in, especially because you know I don't even know if they have print versions anymore, but they've just turned into blogs. They're just blogs. Yeah. They're it, well. It seems like what they do now is they they hire a bunch of freelancers to come in and, and write these blogs. You're paid by the word, and, and, the and word. they're they're hastily written. They're not edited. And a lot of times, I, I think there's proof to that in the fact that so many of these articles get published either with different titles or put out into the ether, and then they get modified or changed or removed yeah. quite often. Yeah. More often than should, that should be. Right. Um, and, and a similar topic to this whole uh, high-tech Trump meeting, uh, Google seems to be getting pragmatic here. There's a uh, headline about how they ex- they're extending their conservative outreach uh, as this, as Trump is calling this tech meeting, so uh, supposedly in the in the weeks since the, the election, Google has ramped up its efforts to hire Republican lobby firms and in-house lobbyists to change the composition of its Washington office, according to three lobbyists with knowledge of the matter. Yeah, I'm not a fan of lobbying. I think Google's a. I think they're massive lobbying presence. Mm. Not uh, a fan. Th- this is funny. Only thirty-three employees of Google donated $200 or more to Trump for a total of $23,000. But Clinton received thirteen, uh, almost 1,400 Google uh, donations from Google employees, totaling $1.6 million. So 23000 to $1.6 million. <laughs> Wow. That's a big difference. Yeah. Well, you gotta, you know, gotta, you gotta flow with the, go with the flow, I guess. Beef up your, your Trump-friendly People, you got you got to get stuff done, right? I mean, this is politics. This is why Benioff's. You know, what is he? What is he? You know, he's he gives. If you look at the money he gives, it's it's pretty much split. It is. He, you know, he's donated to Paul yeah. Ryan and um a bunch of other. Yeah. You know, he always. I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. I'm an American. You know, he's America. I just think it's a pragmatic thing. You know. No, it is, and I I I really find his um. I, I you can tell. It's hard to say this. You can tell w- where Benioff is politically, but he doesn't, at least in terms of... Well, he definitely of, seems to skew towards the Democrat. He, he does. Right? But whenever he's asked point on blank, you know, to, to pick a side, he's just kind of like, look, I'm a, I'm a CEO of a, of a software company. I'm an American. You know, he, he's got that kind of middle road stance on it, which I appreciate. I do too. Well, I, it's not that I appreciate it. Well, if, if I was a shareholder, I would appreciate it. 
And that's because I think it's a, I think his position is very smart. Well, I, I think, I think as a CEO, I appreciate it because he's, he's not trying to divide. He's not trying to create some division or, or anything within his, within his company or in the community. Right. Which I think is great. Yeah. Now, personally, he can do whatever he wants. He can, he can be full blown far left or far right. It doesn't matter. But I appreciate, you know, his stance while he's wearing the CEO hat of, you know, not creating division, you know, of, of expressing that, you know, we're all Americans. We're all in this together. Let's, let's, yep. let's communicate and work together. And that's about as political as we're ever going to get on this podcast, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's uh, hell to the chief. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we have a new acquisition, John. Twin. Oh, they, they acquired and, the Good Day Sir and, podcast. And I have, yeah. <laughs> I, have, I, have, I don't have any insight. Well, maybe I, I'm going to try to offer some insight here to what this is. So that they, Salesforce apparently has acquired a small company called Twin Prime. I haven't heard this. You didn't? No. Did hit the news a couple days ago. They're a five-year-old startup, and they supposedly, and I pulled most of this just from their website, they help mobile apps perform better. Um, their CEO claims that their customers increased the time spent in-app by 50%. Hmm. Uh, they increase app speed up to 300%. They say they have like machine learning and AI and stuff that is... Modifying I think my you, code? I think it's an SDK, and it gets embedded in the mobile app. And it's it's in, it's instrumenting your app, and it's 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 looking at probably the user behavior, but also network latency and performance, and the phone performance, and and all this all this stuff. And it's you know using artificial intelligence <laughs> to uh, to tell you what you need to do to your app to make it faster. So it's not it's not automatically doing it, but it's at least monitoring and giving. I think you it's feedback. I think it's yeah surfacing some kind of intelligent feedback, and maybe even suggestions like you know I don't know. Well, I mean, it fits in well with their with their kind of push towards AI and machine learning and whatever you want to call it these days. And you know, something specific for mobile would be welcomed, well, especially I, since their SDK is. I'll let you say it. Wow, <laughs> that's a hot mess that SDK. <clears throat> but I mean, to me, what I immediately thought of with this was Salesforce One. Yeah, no, I don't use Salesforce One. I don't think I've ever used Salesforce One. I don't like using it. It's kind of. Slow, but the people that crappy. okay, this is what I hear about it, is that it's slow. Yeah, well, lightning is slow. Yeah, but I'm not sure those are for the same reason. I, I mean, so far in this world of Salesforce, we've moved from eh, it's okay, but it could use an update to this thing is slow. I know. It's like you know, it's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, we have this this new UI, and okay, it looks better, but it's not it's not the the best UI I've ever seen in the world. On top of it, it's slow. Yeah. I'm not going to remember, this reminds me of like, you know, I don't know, running, you know, Windows 98 on, you know, the latest Pentium 120 megahertz. Mm-hmm. And it's still being pretty slow. I'm like, you know what? I'm pretty sure my Windows 3.1, you running like, what was that little memory manager, QEMM or, or DOS? You know, I'm pretty sure that those systems ran faster than this. Well, let's go back to terminal days. And I, I was, I you mean. you queue up your command. <laughs> <laughs> you queue it up and then just watch it all happen. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Remember that, the, the guy that we interviewed? Let me see if I can have the clip. You sit back, you spark up a stogie, and you watch that screen catch up with you. <laughs> Remember that guy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, I can remember, yeah, I was like, man, my, my DOS machine ran faster than that. And I was convinced for probably 10 years that Windows... As every time they release a new version of Windows, mm-hmm. 
they were inserting more like weight states in the in the <laughs> in the operating system to help boost hardware sales because you know how Microsoft makes the most money off of Windows, don't you? No, it's on new PCs. Yeah, the licensing. Yep, new PCs. Yeah, because usually. I don't know. Supposedly, people don't upgrade very much, and that's the way they sell is by. Uh, well, that makes sense. Oh, since, yeah. since they're you know they're going to follow Apple's model and not charge for updates. I believe. I hope so. I actually want to talk about Windows. I'm, I need some. I need some advice, but that's a little bit further down. That that's going to be in our end of show se- segment. So Jody M can can fall off. <laughs> Once we're done talking about Salesforce stuff, or she doesn't. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> Stop it! You're gonna make her drive off I the road know, again. I know. I don't want her to like spit coffee out or anything. Jody, calm down. It's all, yeah. right. It's all right. Keep your eyes on the road. Um, ten and two. Is right. it ten and two? Well, not in. She, she's in Australia, right? Yeah. And I, I think, think. I think it's. Uh, I don't know. It's got to be different. Either. It's probably like. What would it be like four and seven <laughs> over there or something? Don't they do everything backwards? They drive on the wrong side of the road. You know, it's got to be different. <laughs> They hold their steering wheels from the bottom. <laughs> and if you want to turn right, you have to turn the steering wheel left. And their toilets flow in the opposite direction because they're in the southern <laughs> hemisphere. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, anything else about Twin Prime? I mean, I, so I, my, you know, back to this. My, my thought was that they're going to use their, this technology to help speed up Salesforce One. And uh, maybe who knows other mobile initiatives they have. That would be nice. I, I think it'd be nice for Salesforce One First of all, and two, I think it would be nice for um, uh, the SDK if if, the, if it can get incorporated into that. Right. Um, I have a code topic, and this is something, and I'm, I apologize, I don't remember who posted this, but it's about it, it was an article, and this is not new. This, that's where I saw this like years ago, a few years ago. Uh, but it's about. Well, it's, it says inlining code, but to, to me, when I think of inlining code, um, I think about like compilers inlining function calls. Or even, you know, like in C, you can specify, you can hint to the compiler that something mm-hmm. should be inlined. But it's John Carmack. Uh, it's a, like a blog post he wrote. And what he's talking about when he says inlining code is not like compiler inlining, but taking, you know, a function mm-hmm. that may, might call a couple other functions and just collapsing those other functions into the main one so that you've just got one function and it's all, all the code's in line. It's not making function calls. Right, okay. And, you know, when I first saw this, I'm like, this is, this is insane. I mean, I've heard people make these arguments. I'm like, this is, this is, this is stuff that beginners say. But this is John Carmack. You know, this is like a famous, I mean, he's a famous software engineer, game developer and whatever. Um, and he even says, like, he starts off, he said, this is going to be an unusual email. I'm talking about style, coding style here. And he also says, you know, there aren't any silver bullets. He says, you know, months can be shaved off a development project with a few, per, you know, a few percent improvement in, in productivity. I'm like, okay, that's true. And and also what he's talking about here, it's it's really from a game perspective and when you're writing game code which you know I've never done but I understand a little bit about it um, it's quite different than writing business applications enterprise software sure um, 
you, you know, you are thinking about performance to a degree that you really shouldn't be in enterprise software. And I know that's weird to say that, but when you think about these modern runtimes like the .NET CLR and the Java Virtual Machine, which is what your Apex runs on, it's it's generally best to not try to do things like inlining or or uh, minimizing. Oh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of great examples. Um, you know, bo- manually boxing and unboxing is a Java thing. Variables in loops. Um, you know, trying to minimize function calls. You know, minimize the um, the size of your class object hierarchy because not only the compiler. With some with these modern runtimes, but the the runtime itself, the virtual machine, mm-hmm. the stuff that it's doing real time, like I mean, you know, J- uh, Java's at least the Sun implementation, it's called Hotspot, and that's because as it's running, as your code is running, it's looking at the hotspots, like what section of this code is being hit a lot, is in some loop or whatever, and it will real time look at that and modify that code in real time to be more efficient, and that. Those algorithms they used to do that 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 virtual machine is at ninety times ninety nine times out of a hundred it's going to do far more smart things than you could do performance wise. So don't try to get cute, don't try to get fancy. Just you know, don't do stupid things though. That's why I have to be careful. Like, mm-hmm. don't do stupid things, right? But when it comes to some of these micro optimizations, I mean, it really this the 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 famous you know. Uh, premature optimization is the root of all evil really applies nowadays. Mm. Because, but before, you know, when, when compilers like C compilers back in the day, when they were, I mean, they would literally take what you do and it's, it's pretty much a linear relationship between the code, how you wrote the code and what it looks like in a binary image. Right? I mean, you could pretty much lay out how you want it to be laid out in the binary. And nowadays, we don't have any control over that. I mean, it's being modified in memory in runtime. It is. <laughs> so, don't try to get cute. Just be be clear. Don't do things that are so ridiculous that the compiler can't tell what you're, or the runtime can't tell what you're trying to do. Like just write normal code. Don't do stupid things, and it's going to it's going to be far smarter about it than you are. So t- totally different perspectives. Um, but I've highlighted a couple of quotes here from him. So he said it's very easy for frames of operational latency to creep in when operations are done deeply, deeply nested in various subsystems, and things evolve over time. So he's, he's basically saying, like, if you've got a function and it's calling into other subsystems, like, what those do right now, you know, you may look at it and you're like, okay, that's, that's pretty, that's, I don't know, it's reasonable trade-off, performance-wise, it's not going to be a problem. But over time, as the system evolves, as you're developing your Duke Nukem that's going to take 15 years to actually get out the door. Surprised you know that. <laughs> well, that's where he worked. <laughs> um, these subsystems might evolve in a way that they don't know. You're just a caller of them. They don't. They're not. They're probably not monitoring your code. Um, the characteristics of that subsystem are going to change. The performance characteristics may change in a way that what used to be code that was okay for you to write is, has now become a problem. Um, and again, that's just something that I just don't think most programmers nowadays really should worry about. Uh, he says, uh, "I know there are some rules of thumb about not making functions larger than a page or two, but I specifically disagree with that now." If a lot of operations are support are supposed to happen in a sequential fashion, their code should follow sequentially. And you know, again, you got to say on any of these types of conversations, there's always situations that there's always exceptions to the rule, mm-hmm. right? 
So you can't, what were we talking about last week? Some programming topic. And do you remember what it was? What was that? I don't remember. Um, I don't either because we just, we got all over the place. But, oh, I know what it was. It was that article that somebody wrote about here are eight things, tips for your Salesforce. Like, don't ever have an object with more than 10 formula fields or whatever. Those types of things. Hmm. You remember that? I don't that discussion? Remember that. Oh my gosh, wow. <laughs> I'll lay off the whiskey when we record. And to that, I say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's, you know, some of those are, are reasonable rules to have, especially, I mean, because they probably come from a, a place of some experience, right? Um, but people, I mean, p- the problem is people will dogmatically or can dogmatically adhere to those without really thinking. So I want to be careful. I'm like, I'm not saying that you should never have a function that's longer than a page, but in general, especially when begin things like modern VMs, keep your functions, keep your methods short. For me, it's just a matter of being able to understand what I did. It, it's, it's self-documenting when you're able to kind of break out your code into smaller functions. Right. And if, and if you have small, I mean, some people like, you know, these guys like uh, Bob Martin and some of these people, I mean, they, their rules are basically a method can have three lines. Uh, I'm, I'm, I don't subscribe to that. Well, I don't either. That's a little extreme. Yeah. Well, when you're in a really productive language like Ruby, uh, you, you actually can do things like that. In Apex, where you've got you've to tell the compiler how to wipe its own butt, you know, it's, you can't get very much done in three lines. I mean, you can't even fit all your lists and lists and maps of lists and angle brackets and and all the repeated and dupli- du- uh, duplicating types in in three lines. So it's not it's not reasonable. I don't, I don't see it as me being able to tell the compiler how to wipe his butt. I feel like it's me going up to the compiler and going, "Please, sir, can I have some more?" <laughs> <laughs> um, what was that from? I don't know. So I didn't get the reference. Yeah, the porridge, orphan, porridge. I don't know. Someone gets it. Um, But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to, I mean, I've seen, I mean, there's, there's famous examples of, I remember that I've looked for this recently. I couldn't find it, but someone made a video and they put it on like Vimeo or something. And it was, it was like, it was a class, like a file with like a class. And there was one method. And they were at the top of the class and they just move their mouse to the bottom scroll down arrow and just mm-hmm. pushed it down and hold it. And you're watching this class scroll and it takes like 20 minutes and it's one method. Wow. Yeah. I can't imagine that. And, the, and I mean, there's just so many problems with that. I mean, it, again, especially with business software nowadays, it, it's, there's no reason for that. It's just too hard to it's too hard to understand. It's it's so buggy. It's so bug prone. No one I can't understand that. My yeah. I, you need to be able Not to, to mention you lose out on on scope isolation with your variables and everything. Exactly. So I maybe I should just skip down to cuz I know we're kind of dragging this out. Uh, before I do that, let me let me say there's one Okay, well, I got here's, here's another one that and he's kind of prevents a, presents a little bit of a different perspective. He says inlining quote Sorry, inlining code quickly runs into conflict with modularity and object-oriented programming protections, and good judgment must be applied. The whole point of modularity is to hide details, while I am advocating increased awareness of details. And I, 
again, this is so weird because to me, that's what a lot of beginners think. They, they, beginners hate a big class hierarchy. They hate um, lots of classes and lots of methods because they want to just see all the code. They think right. that, I mean, I've, I've had even CTOs who don't know what they're doing um, make me defend why we have um, more than one Java package. Why, why we even need it? Why do we have a data layer? Why are you separating your SQL queries out into this data subsystem? That just seems like more work. It's confusing to me. Yeah, I have to go look at this other class to find out what the query is. Well, of course you do. It's separation of concerns. It's making things that are testable. I mean, one of the one of the points of of having you know methods is you need to be able to fit what a method does in your brain. Mm-hmm. And most people can fit. I don't know, seven to 15 lines worth of logic into the brain. And your method name should be, should be pretty, again, it gets back to naming, which is a hard thing, admittedly. Yeah. But your method name should really say what it does. And if your method is eight pages long, well, how long is your method name? <laughs> and and the, the examples that I've personally seen, I can remember specifically, um, I had <laughs> this person I had hired to work on a project with me, and I get this. This is why you can't outsource, because he didn't work with me. I this is and this is not John. I'm not talking about John. <laughs> um, he didn't. I didn't work with him. I was like, hey, I, you know, can you build this thing for me? It's this one little subsystem. And I get back uh, two class files, and each of them had one method. One of the classes was called class one, and its method was called do one. And the other class file was called class two, and its method was called do two. And both Are you of these being literal. Or? Yes, no, literal. And each of those methods was thousands of lines long each. And, and again, when, you're, when your class or your method does that much, I mean, what, what's a better name for it? What are you going to call it? True. <laughs> it's just, it does too much. But, you know, his final thing is, you know, if a function is only called from a single place, consider inlining it. And this is something that I've always railed against, that logic. I yeah. think that is so wrong. This rule that if a function or a method, you know, I'm using the terms function and method interchangeably, right. if it only has one call site, then it shouldn't be its own method. And I think that is completely 180 degrees wrong. Yeah. Well, that's like, to me, that's like... That's how you end up with 2,000 line methods. Well, yeah, but I mean, to me, that's like defining a word inside of your, your, your document or your, say you're writing an essay or a novel. And you, you you have to define every word with in line with that. That just doesn't make sense. I mean, sometimes sometimes it's it. Oh, this means it's going to go do this. It's not critical to this understanding of this function. It just needs to get this information so it can do something with it. To me, that that helps simplify the structure of that function. Simplifies what it does and abstracts it away abstracts the stuff that so that I can when I look at that method, I can see that it you know. It has a, 10 lines and you know half of those are just calling other methods, but those methods are named well. So I can literally look at this method and have right. 10 lines and I can tell what it does. Right. Now, exactly. if I need to drill down, well, guess what? We have IDs. I can just hit command B and I can drill, drill, drill very fast. Right. Now, I get it that 25 years ago, we didn't have those. We were in, you know, whatever. Go to but Especially in static languages like um, Java, C Sharp, Apex, whatever. This stuff becomes very possible for the tooling to really make navigating through this but maybe a lot of classes, thousands of classes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, any non-trivial system is going to hopefully have lots of classes. But it's so easy to navigate through those with modern tools. But yeah, I mean, I mean, I would, I would probably venture to say that in the code I write, 
I would say probably a majority of the methods only have one call site. Now, I, but I, I have more. My code is more testable. It's more understandable. I get a project manager to look at the code and say, "Well, I can actually, I can tell what that does. That's pretty cool." I've even had project managers look at it and say, "You know, we're trying to figure out why something's not working right." And they're like, "Oh, I can tell you right there because you're telling it to do this, and it shouldn't do that until then." Oh, well, wow, yeah, I didn't realize that. I misunderstood the requirement. Mm. But but because it's things are named well, and it's and I've built this code by composing modules, you know, right. units of code. It becomes, and again, nowadays, I mean, computers are, because computers are so fast and so powerful, like we don't optimize for computer time anymore. We we just you know throw another server at it. They're cheap. What we optimize for is quality, um, and and like developer time. I mean, if, yeah. if, it's, if it makes it faster to debug or to create in the first place, then if it, if it runs 10% slower, then big deal. Right. And nowadays, the mitigating factor on that is just these incredibly smart VMs. They're going to inline what they need to inline, you, probably not even at compile time, probably at runtime. Um, so I, I, I compiled a you know, final thing of my thoughts. Some of them I probably already said. Um, this is not about subroutines. It's about abstractions. Good abstractions decrease cognitive load. Bad ones increase it. Um, you agree with that? Again, that, that's all about being able to fit a method in your head. A good abstraction decreases the cognitive load. Yeah. Right. Yeah. While, I, while I agree deeply nested calls are bad, um, applications with several multi-thousand line functions are not fun either. Agreed. Which is what I've had to deal with before. <laughs> well, sometimes they start out that way, and you just got to refactor and abstract them. I think that's important. <clears throat> well, you refactor as you go, sure. You may not know that you're going to need 10 different methods or 10 different you know, method calls to make this more readable or maintainable. Um, and I do this. Sometimes my comments stay in, and I, I, I know I should stop doing that. But I usually comment or annotate a section, a block of code with what it does. Yep. And it stays in there. And then when I go back to refactor, I go, okay, this can get pulled out, this can get pulled out, and I refactor it. And, and actually, that's exactly what John Carmack is saying to not to do. Keep those, in, keep those blocks in line and keep that comment right there. But that, that's, that's like the TDD mantra. You implement just enough code to make your test pass. But, and then you go back and refactor that code immediately. You have to, it, you, one of those steps in that process of you know, red, gray, red, green, refactor, red, green, refactor, red, green, refactor. Now, you write a test that has no implementation for the code yet. Yet you run it just to see it be read. I don't know why. I mean, so we certainly don't run intentionally failing tests in the Salesforce world because that would cost you half your day. Yeah. But then, you know, you see the red, you write the most basic or, or naive, maybe it's a long method implementation you can. You get a green, which means, okay, it does what we now know what it does. We now know it does what it's supposed to. Now let's refactor it. Split that method in three methods or, you know, Abstract something out, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we already did the, if it only has one call side, it shouldn't be a function. That's just ridiculous. Another point, I don't, I'm not sure if we, I was clear on this, but I think you brought it up actually. Long functions mean long, big scopes. Yeah, it does. I mean, if I have a three-line method, how many parameters do you think might get passed into that? Uh, I mean, you can imagine more than like one or two, right? Yeah. But if you, let's say you have a, you know, 
four-page method. How many parameters might you need into that? Uh, could be 10 or 20. Well, I mean, that and, and, and again, on. so setting up something to test that method yeah. is going to be way harder because of all its dependencies. Mm-hmm. Long, long functions, are it's just harder to test all the code paths. I mean, think about that. Those long methods, they're chock full of dozens, if not hundreds or thousands of, of if statements, switch statements, loops, conditional loops, all kinds of stuff. Good luck testing all those code paths. Yeah. Good luck finding your null reference. Yeah, right. <laughs> Especially when your test execution comes back and says, error, line zero. Yeah. It's my favorite. And then my last thing I said was, it's harder for less experienced developers to prevent inline blocks of functionality becoming good old giant sloppy functions. Like, maybe you, because you're an experienced programmer, you could probably keep either your blocks in line with comments there, and you could probably keep it reasonably somewhat clean. Mm-hmm. But, if, if, but if there's no like, rule, and I'm not saying you have to do this just to have rules, but I mean, a, a less experienced program might just, if, 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 if there are no boundaries, right? If they, they, don't, they don't realize what it took to keep that clean. So keep that clean. Like they kind of don't want to know what went into that. So, right. People, it's just it's just likely to end up with in a sloppy spaghetti mess. You know, sometimes I feel like you know, despite my efforts to keep it clean and readable, that sometimes some people come in and don't understand what I did and why I did it the way I did, and they change it and they change it for the worse. They'll change it with with one big method that does all this kind of crap in line, and it's frustrating. Have to go in after the fact, not only because it was a blow to my, I'm going to say blow to my ego, but it, it was kind of a stab at me because they commented out a bunch of my code and replaced it with something worse. Yeah. One one argument that's a little bit more valid, I think, is when people start talking about stack depth. So if you have, you know, if you, if you follow the rule of of small composable methods, you're going to have, you know, d- deeper. Um, Deeper stacks. I mean, and, and when an exception gets thrown, you're going to have a deeper stack trace. Mm-hmm. And that takes up more memory. Right? And that there's a performance load on that as well. But again, that gets back to you. I mean, dude, machines have like, what's a typical server having memory-wise nowadays? It's not two megabytes anymore. It's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can remember when a Sun machine with 16 megs of RAM was you know, five, six yeah, grand, something yeah, like that. We're in the cloud. We don't have to worry about that stuff I don't anymore. Know. Exactly. You know, they, they say like, gosh, it's someone else's computer, right? Yeah. Let them deal with it. Let Salesforce deal with it. I mean, Amazon. Right. Hmm. <laughs> okay. What else, John? Let's see. Talked about Twin Prime, inlining code. Salesforce, uh, they, they announced this live message thing. You know anything about this or care about it? This is apparently from that Haywire integration. I don't care about it. Well, I'm going to tell people about it, even if you don't care about it. The gist of it, of this live <laughs> message, is that um, companies should be able to connect to customers and service them as a friend-to-friend interaction that would occur like it would in a Facebook Messenger. Just like you're chatting with your buddy in Facebook Messenger, you'll be chatting with Salesforce or chatting with uh, some AI bot thing. So I can, uh, I can, I can tell my... Uh... My tier one support rep, um, yeah, I put that in the note. Go look at the note. I guess. I mean, this is this is not for... Oh, this is customers. Yeah, this yeah. is customers, right? So you have to... So Salesforce isn't going to use this. They're, they just want us to buy it so that we can use it with they our might. customers. I don't know. It will start at $75 per user per month. Ouch. 
based on one messaging service. So that's per, I think that's per messaging service. Why so it also expensive? supports SMS. So I think it supports Facebook Messenger, SMS, and that may be it for now. You know, it's, it, it's tough to switch mindsets because whenever I hear that, I think my wallet. And I think my wallet paying $75 a month for that sucks. But maybe in the world of enterprise, that's cheap. Maybe in the world of, of messaging, real-time messaging, that's, that's on par. There goes Jerry Jones. That's him. And his heli, his yeah, private his heli. fancy helicopter. Oh, yeah, there he goes. Does he just buzzed our building. <laughs> yes. His new helipad is like blocks away from us. I, yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's funny. I've seen, you know, all this stuff with these, a, you know, like messenger bots and these AI bots. They're really tiptoeing around. I, I wish I could remember these terms. It's something like, oh, yeah, I think it's augmentation, like service augmentation versus service automation. And they're like, we're not automating the services because they're what they were. They're trying to avoid right now, and it's it's so transparent. Is any backlash from people worried about like you're they're, you're replacing all these people's jobs with a bot? They're like, oh no, we're just augmenting, we're just augmenting. That's just like Uber saying, oh no, we're you know, we still well, need they, drivers. They oh. are they're on path to augment people. <laughs> exactly. No, they're automating people. It's automating driving so that you, people are not involved. That's what I mean. They they want to stick a bunch of driverless cars out there, right? Which, I don't know, maybe might be fine. Let's see, time check. Oh, we're over an hour. An hour and 20 minutes. Well, I got to um, I got to get go on a webinar for the latest Squid. Okay. If I can do an update on that. Okay. Um, it was kind of flattering. <laughs> so you had you were on the first interview where they announced it, and it was that's the one you said was just it was a little marketing. Yeah, it was a little marketing. So this one this one actually was kind of conducted by one of the developers, and, and he walked us through some of the features. It, it's pretty still pretty light on content, um, only because it's Squid just on Amazon. So all the things that I knew how to do before all apply. There's no real mass change to to the way it works and how it works. Aside from the fact that you're connecting to OData services oh. versus you know directly to Salesforce. That means files. they did a good job then, right? It does. It does. I mean, it's it's very familiar. It's it. You know, they didn't show me something and I go, oh crap, that's that's. And yeah, now there are some things that aren't portable just because of the way that the models that you create work, uh, because they're connected to OData versus you know being there on the platform. You right. just connect to them. Mm-hmm. So there are some differences there in how you set things up. Some things, certain things aren't portable. There are a few things that aren't that aren't there yet, but that they're working on. But for the most part, it's it's Squid. It's Squid. It's Squid on the on Amazon. So it it was it was nice to be able to see that and to see them interact with it. Um, going back to what I thought was flattering because I don't want to make this too long, <laughs> is I is they opened it up for questions and and they opened up the mic so it wasn't just typing. So I started asking questions, <laughs> and it was Ben Hubbard who who did the 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 webinar and he goes, "Oh hey John, yeah." <laughs> I was like, <laughs> it took it took me back for me because I didn't announce myself. It was I recognized the voice, <laughs> so I just had to laugh. Yeah. So that was flattering. I appreciate You're it. You're famous, John. I'm, fam- I'm internet famous. You know, famous. speaking of that, speaking of the, on the topic of us being famous, we, we you know I think we've we've hit the we're in the big leagues now. Um, Adam Olshansky dropped in to let us know that we were mentioned in I guess a blog post by this company Blue Canvas. Yeah, I hadn't heard from them before. Blue Canvas. You hadn't heard of them? Heard of them? Yeah, have I'd seen them before, but I I hadn't really you know checked them out. I, I don't know. Maybe I will. They so they have a um, I guess we'll go ahead and plug them a little bit since they since they. Said something nice. Well, about I don't us. want to create precedents where people are like scratch our back with scratch your back. Oh no, I'm a whore. I mean, I'm just, <laughs> you know, cheapest, low, lowest bidder, highest, high, highest bidder actually, highest bidder. Um, 
No, they, they have one of these, um, it's almost like Heroku for Salesforce. It's a deployment. It's a deployment in the cloud. So is it continuous integration type deployment or just kind of a, a better tool for deployment? So I think when I went to the site, it said something about Git push, kind of like the way you Yeah, Git push Salesforce in your branch name, right? And you can, you know, you push up a, a branch to there to the, and Salesforce is a, is a remote for their system. Mm-hmm. And you define it just to set up as a remote in their system or in your, you know, a pointer to their system. And they have probably Git hooks that receive the commit and do some kind of build process and deploy it to Salesforce for you. Again, the, the the thing I'm skeptical about these things is there's all kinds of things that can go wrong that have that just because of the way that Salesforce and the metadata API, API work, it just requires manual stuff. Yeah, I mean, I had an example today where if you let's say you have, and this gets back to the, uh, I'm, I'm interesting to see how Salesforce DX solves this because Salesforce DX, which and I love this, is all about your source code is the truth. No longer are is your develop is your is production necessarily the truth. Right. I mean, it represents a tr- a a truth at, at some point in time, right? Mm-hmm. You might have a tag that pointed to a commit that's what that represents what's in production, right? Or maybe, or maybe your master branch is always points to what's in production. It's common common uh, practice there, but in general, um, yeah, it's, it's your source control that is that is the, the that is the truth, and everything's got to make it into in, in you know in this case it's a git. It seems like it's a git everywhere. So it's got to make it into git, right? And it's, that's how you get things through your development and deployment and de, uh, yeah deployment pipeline, mm-hmm. right? Is by pushing to certain branches, and there's maybe a, a release branch, and that's what pushes it to your QA sandbox. And if that if that build is approved, then you merge it into master, and that's what. And then maybe you, in this case with blue, what are they called? Blue canvas. Blue canvas. You just do yeah, git push Salesforce master. And that starts off, that kicks off a thing that builds it. But I, we had a thing, hit a thing today where, again, my source code is the truth. I mean, I've been doing this with Salesforce for, for years now. So I'm, 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 that's why the Salesforce DX, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm glad that Salesforce is now starting to speak this language because they're going to see, and they probably already know this, they're going to see the problems there are with that, right. the, the challenges we still have. And, and I know they're, they're working on these things, but it's going to be, it's going to take some time. But one of the problems, like I saw today, is, um, I, uh, you do a deployment and you get an error message that, and in fact, the, the worst thing about it, it was the wrong, the wrong error message. I got an error message that I, this couldn't deploy because this workflow has pinned, it has time-based, a time-based workflow that has pending, uh, what are they called, actions? Something like yeah. that, yeah, pending jobs or yep. something. And I go and look and sure enough, no pending actions. Uh, it's the it wrong, scheduled. it's no scheduled, no pending. It's the wrong error message. And I've hit this before, and it took me a minute, but I'm like, oh, I know what the, I remember what this is. I've had this before. Wrong, completely wrong error message. What the problem was is you can't deploy, you can't do a deployment to Salesforce that modifies a workflow that's a time-based workflow that's active, right? It's what, the same with scheduled jobs. What you have to do, or scheduled Apex, sorry, is you have to de- you you have to deactivate the time-based workflow. Then you can. De- then you can deploy. Then you then you can change that workflow, and then you can reactivate it. Well, that really totally breaks source code is the truth. Because mm-hmm. what do I do? Do I have two commits? One with a deactive and a change to it, and then one where it's active. And do I do I have to do two deployments now? Like I I push, and I can't. It can't be just master anymore. It has to be master minus one commit or something like a right. previous commit. And so these are the kind of things that still are a big problem. And I don't see how. 
these guys and the other ones solve it. And I don't, you know, I don't think they can. I think they're, they're, they're really, rely- I think we're all relying on Salesforce to help us improve this. Yeah, but I think, I think like Maven's Mate and IntelliJ ID, IDE, I'm sorry, Illuminate Cloud. I mean, they, they went into this knowing that the, the tooling isn't great and the tooling API has its issues, but they've built something on top of it already and they're working with Salesforce directly now to start working through some of these issues and, and fix it so that the tools can continue to get better. And I see the same thing happening for the for these tools that kind of help manage um, source control and deployments that, you know, yep, we're in it. We're trying to solve certain problems. There are certain things that are out of our control, um, but we're working with Salesforce. And because we have this product and we got some visibility, we're able to kind of get to some Salesforce engineers and tell them, yeah, we can't do this because right. of this. I mean, really, two things have to, have, have to happen. One, Salesforce has, has to know specifically what the problems are. Right. And two, they have to have a desire to improve them. Well, they have to have demand. So, so a lot of exactly. the, a lot of the problem they had before was, was Jeremy. No one's asking for this. Exactly. Well, people are building products and they're going, you it's know, what? our tool can't do this because your tool sucks. Right. And so I, th- I think you know people coming out here and creating these things and and pushing it as hard as they can up to the limits that Salesforce, you know, imposes on us and saying, you know what, you know, if you can get us past this hump, we can we can can fix this problem or we can make these these things better for developers. Right. Because ultimately, if Salesforce really wants to be a platform, you know, they really need to solve these problems. And I think that's what DX is about. But I've, I've had some confusion about DX. And DX, at least at this point in time, before they rebrand it, is about CLI, right? The DX, DX is, a, is a program. It's an initiative that's going to, that's going to re- manifest itself in lots of different ways. Educa- education, is- actual tools, uh, like the CLI you just mentioned, Scratch orgs, and there's some other new type of... Um, uh, Peter Chittam had a blog post a week or two ago that talked about a, a new... It was, it was something different than Scratch org, some other kind of org that just takes this, I think, a little bit further. And it's again, it's for developers. It's just for supporting this kind of process. Mm. I'm sorry, I keep saying CLI, but I mean CI, continuous integration. Oh, okay. That's what I mean. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so they, this, you know, Blue Canvas wrote, uh, this is like last week, I guess, they wrote a, a blog post called 12 of the Best Salesforce Developer Resources. And we ended up being number one, which I don't think those are in order. They're just, you know, which is I'm taking it as being number well, one. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, you're right about that. I'm sorry. There's an order. It says number one. Um, it's numbered. But then they just, you know, they said we're hilariously entertaining, which, uh, okay. And incredibly informative podcast about all things Salesforce development. Um, we're published weekly and one of the best resources for Salesforce developers. Anyway, they just said... I think they, this they, is a good review. It is a, it's a very good review. Um, they, they, in fact, I got, I'm going to pass on some of this other stuff. You guys can go read it if you want to, but um, it, yeah, it's like, it's like a, it reads, it's, just, it's a good review, but this is what I liked. The Good Day Sir Media Empire is a gift that keeps on giving because their Slack channel is also a must-subscribe for any informed Salesforce developer. The channel is full of some of the best thinkers on Salesforce development, and there's, a, there's lots of lively discussion and opportunities to learn. Yeah, I thought that was really well put. Uh, I nailed, they nailed it. So, thank you, Blue Canvas. One of these days, I will try to check out your tool. Maybe soon. And I would also like to, you know, it would be interesting to talk to one of these guys, like like Blue Canvas, mm-hmm. and find out, you know, are you, you know, when your customers are running across these things, like how do you, maybe they have some kind of solution for that. Maybe they're actually like literally kind of like hard coding around certain errors or they're transforming your, your build somehow. Because they, they can look at your metadata and know that, well, even though that totally is valid metadata, that's not going to work. Don't, don't get yourself excited. Man. I know. I, that, it is do, getting do you me remember, excited. Do you remember when we were at Dreamforce that, that one year? That one time at Dreamforce? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I 
this one time at Dreamforce. <laughs> this doesn't involve flutes, does it? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, who was it? it? It was some. It was some some company that was trying to to yeah, extract. Yeah, it was the, gear set, right? Yeah, I think okay. so. And you started asking these kind of really low level questions and, and well, I'm just curious like, about issues and how they were handling. <laughs> they were like. Well, because I got excited. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. You guys are allowing. Yeah, I mean, you're you're actually, you know, able to do continuous integration. I'm like, oh, great. Well, how are you handling this? And how are you handling that? And they're like, oh, yeah, we don't, no, we don't, we don't handle those. It's just, I'm like, oh, so those are just going to fail like they, you know, yeah. Okay. Again, I don't, I don't know how much you can do. I mean, it's, again, this is back to Salesforce DX. I'm glad that this is an initiative now. I'm glad it's, they're making it a thing and putting some money into it. And, and uh, they're going to make it better. I, I'm confident. And, and going back to, to that story, I mean, it's not meant to kind of knock them, but but to say that, you know, there are certain issues that as much as, you know, these vendors try, they can't solve because once it crosses that domain from your their computer to the Salesforce computer, you know, Salesforce has to provide some kind right. of mechanism for that to happen. Or, or what about the situation where you pull your metadata down and it's got, it's the Salesforce generated metadata has references to like field IDs. It for related lists and, and other things. I mean, I'm sorry, but when you deploy that to an org that doesn't already have that field and it's going to be created, it's going to have a different ID. So your related lists now are going to fail. I mean, this deployment's going to fail. There are situations where it's hard to know, and this is kind of defending Salesforce a bit, <clears throat> depending on, on what you're trying to do and what you're trying to abstract, what do you put instead? It's, you're supposed to have the field name. Which makes refactoring very hard because now you're referencing the name, which means you have to go through and update all that. Yeah, right. So, I mean, think about workflow where you know you create a reference to some user, and I'm not sure if this has changed or not, but it used to be a big pain point for me whenever I we do some a workflow in a sandbox that referenced a user that didn't exist in production or has a different ID in production, and when you try to deploy that, it fails because that ID, and so it ends up becoming a a, a manual change yeah. because it's storing the ID, not the name, because well, because the name could change, the username right. could change. In fact, the username is different in those two environments. It's a, uh, you know, John Doe at company dot com dot sandbox versus production. So you know there are certain situations that are going to be difficult to solve, and I'm not sure how to solve that. I mean, I, I know how, I know how, I know how it's solved when you're building, you know, normal enterprise software. I know how Salesforce solves things like that, but with this this you know most scalable metadata platform in the world. They don't. This is not solved. They've created because they've changed the way we build enterprise software. They haven't. They haven't solved these problems that need to be solved. I mean, in, in normal software, you have just in, in as part of your repository a history of database migrations. So, if you want to rename a field, first of all, you go into your code and you rename the f- field everywhere, and then you write a, data, a database migration script that's uh, alter table, rename column. Mm-hmm. And when that gets deployed, part of the startup process of the de- when the application boots itself up is it checks to see if there are new migrations, and if there are, it runs them. Right? That's this is pre. This is actually pre-application startup. Mm-hmm. So once the application is finally started up, n- your build references all the new names, and your database has been migrated to the new, a new column name or something. Right? That's how you keep these things right. in sync. But in Salesforce, I don't know how you do that. I mean it. You you don't you don't do that. You don't rename. Well, there are there are new concepts for ISVs in terms of package deployment that kind of do that. Well, allow you to kind of create that concept, but for the most yeah. part, no. 
and and the new the newer metadata APIs do have a rename. Yeah, there's re, uh, like a rename method on there. Well, because we I remember getting excited about it, thinking we're going to get refactoring, but it's really kind of a packageable thing. I don't think it's something that we can readily use across our IDEs and things like that. Like the refactoring mechanism for that isn't just doesn't isn't there. Yeah. It's like specific to a namespace or something, I, I think, if I remember right. correctly. Well, and that, the renaming API in the metadata API, it's kind of interesting. If there was a way that you could package your, again, like a, a chronological list of kind of migrations that contain those renames, and, as, and on deploy, if Salesforce would run those, that, that may be a way to make this work. But sure. right now, when you check out my, I mean, when I check out, Master and build and deploy to Salesforce. I don't. I don't have that list of. I don't have that list of you know historical um, renames and migrations and things. And there's no mechanism for Salesforce to to play those, right? Right, because you once it's played, once you play a migration, it should not be played again on that on that system. And there's no way to say, oh, this is just call this rename. Once and once you've called that, then it's it's done. It's renamed. If you call it again, it's going to be it's not item potent. It's going to fail, right? right? And there's just no way to do that with Salesforce. Not yet. I'm confident they're working on it. So speaking of DX, uh, Trailhead X. Oh yeah, Trailhead. Trailhead X. Not Trailhead X. We figured this out last time. Okay. Uh, June 28th to 29th, 2017, San Francisco. Should we go? You know, if I had an employer that paid for that kind of stuff, I would totally would go. I, I would say I would say I'd be willing to go if if I know for sure we're gonna get some in-depth technical knowledge on Salesforce DX. Not just the high level hour-long presentation of here's what we're thinking about doing, here's a flow chart. I want to know. Well, I mean at the last one they they did a um a like a thing on the compi- the some of the new what was it compiler stuff? Remember this? Hi everybody Adam gave a, I think gave a talk on, um, but I mean, most of that's all, I mean, this is a great thing about Salesforce with their, they, they're at least on the sales cloud side in the, in the Salesforce one platform, they post all these things, right? So it's not like it's, this is, you're, they're going to, they're going to publish all this information on, on their websites. So it's not like the content you're not going to be able to get really soon after. Mm-hmm. But I think what you miss out on is just, it's the hallway conversations, it's getting to talk to PMs and the Peter Chittams of the world and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, my, my other concern is that it's it's build and it's it's fast becoming, because of the name, a very trailhead-centric thing. It, it kind of, meaning it crosses the boundary of development and admins, and I don't mean to slight admins, I'm only saying that because of the things that we we do, the very highly technical things, that the things we want answers to, I feel like if the conference is split between those two mindsets, it waters down both. I feel like admins, you have your conference, you have Dreamforce. Dreamforce is very admin friendly, very customer friendly. That's your conference. I want a developer conference. I want a highly technical. I think this is developer on, conference. Well, and I well, yeah. and even, I, I hear even that. in the advertisement, this is the advertisement. This is the words on the image. It says Trailhead X, Salesforce Developer Conference, and it gives the dates. And it says two fun days of inspiration and hands-on learning with trails for admins and developers. Adventure awaits. That doesn't sound like... Well, first it said for developers, then it said for admins and developers. So, Well, yeah, I mean, the the title and the subtitle. So the title is Trailhead X, the subtitle is Salesforce Developer Conference. But then in the description of it, it says two fun days of inspiration and hands-on learning with trails 
are, are the sessions trails? Are we going to be sitting in front of computers and taking trailhead badges? Yeah. Uh, but it says admins well, and developers. So I, th- I think this is the closest you're going to get to a sales, to a developer conference, you know, from Salesforce. But there's 3 million developers. Why can't we have our own conference? This there's 3 it. million developers. No, we have enough capacity to, to warrant a, a damn Fitbit. Freaking uh, Fitbit oh my gosh. marker <laughs> conference. Um, okay, so last year they capped the attendance, the first, the inaugural Trail Headaches at 2,000, I believe, if I remember correctly. And how many admins went to that? Again, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, trying to slight admins in any way and say that you're not important, but you guys no, have I hear, a conference. I, I hear it's you're called you're, you're, just, you're just trying to figure out, like, is this, is this really a developer conference with juicy developer stuff, or is this right. kind of watered down with, you know, oh, here's how Am you Am I going to get the kind of Java conference experience where we're, we're talking about compilers, we're talking about VMs, we're talking about low-level code, we're talking about high-level code, yeah, we're how, talking about you know, CI strategies and, and, C, and CIs and CLIs and seeing vendors focusing specifically on developers? Are we going to get that? Or is it going to be like the latest process builder enhancements? Exactly. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Again, I think this is the this is the closest thing you're going to get to a, a developer conference out of Salesforce, and it, it might be you know very develop, developer heavy. I bet it is. I, I I think I bet you would. I bet you would you know probably be pleased at the content. You know, we should go, and if it sucks, we do a good day sir conference <laughs> for developers. You know, what we could do is like that. You know, like the what's the like WWDC? They have the pre like the alt conference. We uh-huh. should we could have an alt trailhead it's the day before. Everyone flies in early. We all do a meetup somewhere. We rent a room and hotel. And we do a, an alt trailheadics. That's an idea. And everyone's invited, you know, the Salesforce people. And it's, it's, not, it's, it's not an anti, it's an alt. It's just like, you know, it's the, same, it's the same people, maybe a subset, but it's people who are interested in stuff we talk about and the stuff that this community is interested in. That's intriguing and scary at the same time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, build it up, you build it up as we're the alternative and then our content sucks and everyone's like, eh, screw that. Well, it's not, no, it's not our, it wouldn't be our content. It would be like an open space conference. Mm. People bring the content and then we, we get there and we all, you know, we figure out, okay, we've got, who wants to talk about what? And we do a little vote or do a little tally thing and this, that's, and then people can uh, give up, stand up and give a little five minute thing and we talk about it and figure stuff out and talk about how people are coming up with creative ways to do things and, it's like a giant, it's like a one day hallway conversation. That would be awesome. It would be awesome. The good day, sir. That was alt. a good meeting, John. The good day, sir. Alt conference. I'm, okay. Let's, why don't you make that happen? Maybe we can get Surfforce to sponsor us. <laughs> 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 All right. We're running long. I know you got to get out of here. I got, I have two things. One of them's really quick. So let me get out of the way. All right. You know, I, I always uh, complain about, the culture of email, how people abuse email in a typical corporate environment. It's, it's very dysfunctional. It's, it's, you have to have email, but it, it's, it's a shame that it becomes such a productivity, you know, now downer. I have a new solution to that. I figured it out. So, you know, I've, I started using this app called Mailplane, which is a Mac app. <clears throat> and it basically, it's, it's like a fancy single uh, site specific browser, but it's, it's, it's just for Gmail mm-hmm. or Google mail, whatever it's called. And it's, it's pretty nice. It's, it's, I used to use this fluid fluid.app the mac site specific browser and just, you know because i have i have like four four or five uh, gmail accounts and so you know, i just would create four or five tabs and it and it, rem- it keeps the logins for each one and when i reopen it those tabs so that remembers it, it works it works fine actually but i've discovered mailplane and it's it same type of thing you set up your tabs and your accounts but it's really polished and it's got some os specific things like it 
if you it, it does preview on any attachments and you can drag and drop stuff in and there's stuff that's it's a little bit nicer mm-hmm. um, but I haven't bought it yet so I'm in, in trial mode but my trial expired and the way it works now is when I launch Mailplane it says um, well you haven't bought this yet you can either buy it now or this is going to close in five minutes perfect <laughs> if I can't get my email done in five minutes then it doesn't get done it you know something was wrong anyway <laughs> So you're using it as a as a feature. It's kind of like my what are they, the tomato or the the Pomodoro method? Yeah, you exactly. know, that's just my own little Pomodoro for email. You get <laughs> five how minutes. Long, how long does it shut down for? Twenty four hours. I think or? I actually think you can open it right back up. I'm not sure. I haven't tried. Because <laughs> if you open it right back up, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> no, honestly, you should do that in the morning and then before you go home in the in the afternoon. Yeah, I five minutes to, in the morning, I, five minutes. I in the try afternoon. to stay out of email as much as I can, but I I did switch. I was using that application, but I did switch to using Spark because I kind of like having the consolidated email inbox. I miss that. I just and, don't, yeah. And I have transitioned enough people away from my email inbox by using, you know, Slack and other communication channels that aren't email, which have worked out much better. If if you're still heavily on email, try using Slack with your teams or, or some other kind of communication like Asana or something, which we're using for project management. Um, it'll help offload some of the burden on your email. At least it has for me. It's been great. So now I can actually use that unified inbox with a little less madness as previous yeah, before where right. I have like 2,000 messages that I had to comb through. Yeah, and this email is one of the things that everyone's got kind of a different view of what the optimum solution is. Well, because um, I mean, you'll find that a lot of emails you get are like, hey, this happened, and what about this? And it's questions and things that, that are more conversational than than a, you know, fire and forget mail message. Or, th- or things that's just like, dude, pick up the phone. This is a conversation. This is not an email yeah. thing where I've got to sit, out, sit around and... W- Answers emails back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And if I don't, you know, within two minutes, someone, you know, CCs my boss all of a sudden. It's like, <laughs> come on. This, this is the, literally the worst kind of corporate culture you can have. All right. So my final thing that I've got for you, and this is, this is really something I need uh, some advice on. So I've had a Mac Mini for my, and, and you know, if you're, we're done with our Salesforce content. So <laughs> you can sign <laughs> off. Um, I've had a Mac Mini for my home theater PC for, I actually looked it up. Uh, it's a 2009 Mac Mini. So, and I bought it new. So, mm-hmm. uh, seven years, eight years, something like that. And it still works fine. Um, I did some upgrades to it. I bumped up the RAM to, I think, eight gig or four gig. You know what? I've done it up to eight gig. And one of those modules ended up going bad. And the way I found it wouldn't boot or anything. But the way I discovered it, I just took one of them out and it would boot fine. So now I'm at the four, I'm, I'm at only at four gig, but with the SSD, it's still plenty fast. I never even, I never replaced that other four gig module. It's totally fine. Hmm. Um, the only problem I'm having right now is because, again, I think the performance is fine, but it's actually so. Um, I use, you know, Plex as my main thing, and it can play 20 megabit per second H264 just fine. However, certain um, things through the browser, like YouTube through the browser, or if we do Amazon video through the browser, it just cannot keep up. And I'll SSH in and, do, and look at the CPU usage, mm-hmm. and Chrome is just slamming it. Mm-hmm. And, it. and it just can't keep up. And it's, you know, it's a Core 2 Duo, like the, which is a super old CPU. Yeah, it sounds like and you, you look at, an upgrade. Well, exactly. And when you look at, like, when you look at, the, you know, like Plex's suggestion, like there's like, I mean, I think their minimum now, as they say, is like something past that Core 2 Although that it works fine for Plex, it's just. But I can tell it's. I can tell it's getting to the point that I'm going to need to upgrade this thing soon. Yeah. And I have anxiety about it because you look at the Mac Minis and you're like, well, first of all, they haven't been updated in two or three years. True. I'm sure they will get updated. Oh, I'm not I, sure. No, I, I, I have no idea, right? But also, they're 
I mean, I think I bought that Mac Mini for four hundred or five hundred bucks, and it's now it's like it seems like they're seven hundred to a thousand dollars. I mean, I think I have one of those. I mean, I bought. Yeah, one you do. I remember you bought one. Ago. I remember that. Yeah. Um, As a back at my notebook. Oh, yeah, this is John. You're so he's John's wealth. John just exudes wealth. He's he, bu- he buys Macs and just they sit in his closet. He doesn't know if oh, I think I bought one of those thousand dollar computers. I put it in my closet. I don't know. I think I used it. I didn't as buy a, the thousand dollar. I bought the lower end one. I just your, needed something to set your shoes on it or something. I needed sh- something to work on yeah. as a backup. I remember that. Yeah, and I. I figured, hey, my make my living on a computer, I should have a backup. But so I'm looking at these. There's a little Intel makes computers called these NUX. Have you seen them? It's, it stands for like next unit computing. But they're little Mac Mini type small computers. And it comes with, oh. you know, the chassis. Yeah. It comes with a motherboard in it and a CPU. Mm-hmm. And you can pick. And then they're currently, um, the KB Lakes aren't out yet. But the Sky, you know, they actually still have Skylake. And they have, what was before Skylake? Broadwell? Mm-hmm. Broadwell. They have, they have Broadwell and they have Skylake. Which is, I think, fifth and sixth generation. And you know, so to get a Skylake, and I, and I actually want so you can get like an i three CPU, and you can get an i five, and you can even get an i seven. But for some, some of the stuff I was reading, it's like you really should probably get an i three. First of all, it's plenty fast for any 1080p and 4K. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it, uh, it, you know, so you could get a faster CPU, but you really don't need it. And the problem with the faster CPU is they run hotter, right? And so you're going to have more fan action, right? And you know, for the home theater PC, really anything, but especially a home theater PC, like, you know, you don't want noise. And so for the for an i3 of one of these things, it's like 250 bucks. Oh, wow. And it's got, I don't know, I'm just trying to remember thing. It's got HDMI, it's got DisplayPort, it's got USBs, it's got like everything you would need. Sure. Um, right, right in the, right in, and it's got two, it's actually got USBs in the front and, and back. So if you want to just, Randomly, someone plugs, oh, here, put this thumb. I mean, I got friends that come over, they'll have a hard, uh, a movie, or not a movie, like a, a concert show on their thumb drive, and they'll stick that in, right? Just right. stick it and stick it around the front. That's cool. 250 bucks. Uh, you have to put memory in it, which is for a gig of RAM is like super cheap. It's like, I don't know, 50 bucks or something. You just put a hard drive in. Um, they come with two options. You can either they come with the, um, the a bigger one has the t- a two and a half inch hard drive, accepts a two and a half inch hard drive. Mm-hmm. But if you want the smaller one, which I would get, it takes that, it's called the M2 format of SSD. It's like a somewhat newer format. It's but like it's, it's just the memory. Version of it it, it's, not the, it's not the two and a half inch drive. It's literally just a little, it's like a, almost like a dim memory module. It's, like a, just a, it's just the memory and you just snap it in. And so I'd have to put, you know, and I would use a small one because I just need something big enough to hold the operating system because I, all my storage is on a Synology. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah, so I had a cheap 128, big, uh, 28 gig but SSD. But you're downloading stuff, so wouldn't SSD be quicker for you to read off of than? No, because media streams. I mean, when you're like, okay, let's say you're watching a movie, and, and you know it's going to max out at 20 megabits per second, which is like what two or three megabytes per second. Mm-hmm. I mean, even I mean, my sound, my Synology can can easily stream off. I think 100 megabytes per second, and I've got gigabit Ethernet. It's all hardwired gigabit Ethernet, so not a problem at all. I just want an SSD for the OS to run on, so that so that right. everything feels fast. Right. So what's um, your question then? What's what's the advice? So okay, so here's what I'm thinking. I'll get one of these Intel NUCs and I'll run Linux on it. Okay. And I'll run Plex because Plex, you know, I thought it runs on anything. Um, the the downside to this is that you know the great the great thing for me about a Mac is I'm, I'm very familiar with the operating system. I'm very familiar with all its com- and all the SSH and all the command line stuff. Of course, Linux is very similar. I know, but also the fact that you know. The, the OS updates, um, 
installing a brand new OS, that's just, that's been, I mean, Apple's really got that nailed. Mm-hmm. It just works. It's so easy and it's still way easier than Linux. So that's kind of one downside. Also, drivers on Linux are still kind of a problem. I mean, this, this machine is made by Intel and they do work with, they try to work with these Linux distributions to make sure they're the right drivers, but sometimes it can still take months to get them right. So that's, so there's kind of some things I'm just like, oh, I, I, I mean, I really, I would prefer to have a Mac, but if it's just going to be the situation, maybe it, maybe it's worth it just to go Linux. I'm good enough with Linux. I can administer it. And I'll, so why I'll, not Windows? Well, so what I realized is just kind of looking around is that Plex actually does not run on Linux. I thought it did. It doesn't. XBMC and whatever the new one of it, Kodi, I think is what it's called, mm-hmm. um, K-O-D-I. They run on Linux, but I really like Plex. I'm really totally bought into Plex. I, I pay for the Plex Pass, and, and it's got some things that just the other ones don't do. Mm-hmm. It does not run on Linux. So now I'm like, okay, now I'm, if I'm going to do this, it's going to be the Intel NUC, and I'm going to run Windows. Right. And I'm not, I'm not a Windows hater. It's just... But I did kind of do away with Windows almost 10 years ago, and I really haven't looked back. Um, and I think si- for, for your usage, I mean, you're not going to really be doing anything on it except loading up Plex. Yeah, I know. I'm just like, uh, then I'll have Windows on my property. And I'm just, you know. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and yeah, here's the other thing. I got I to gotta shell out like 150 bucks for it. Windows is not free. No, it's not. Yeah, you do have to load and, it. And Windows, you know, now I'm dealing with not only, and, and I, you know, I know Windows 10 is a lot better than Windows 8, which was an absolute disaster, and Windows 7, which is kind of a disaster. Windows 10 is, Better from what I hear. It's still got problems, more yeah. problems than my Mac does, but it's it's better. I hear I mean I heard a lot of positive things about it from even from Mac people. Um but it's still like the up the Windows updates still are kind of a mess compared to Mac updates. And they're obnoxious. I mean they're constant. I and, think it's slowed and, down a bit. And recently, they break things more often just in the news today. Um uh, thousands of people affected whatever by uh, the uh, Windows update came through and broke their internet connection somehow. And it's like, oh. I don't know. I mean this is this is just the Windows stuff. You know, it's it's still it's still Windows, and, just, and then that now at this point I'm just like, ah, screw it, I'll just pay you hundred bucks and get a Mac Mini. I mean, what do you think? Where, where should, what should I, I do I'm, here? You know, when it comes to my entertainment and my downtime, I don't want to have to mess with something. I just want it to work. That's one of the reasons I have an Apple TV because I don't. Yeah, I could build a home entertainment system. I could build. I could build a machine and use Plex, but I just use iTunes because you know what. I'm, this is my downtime, and it's valuable to me because there's not much. I, as you know, I, I work myself too hard. When I want downtime and I want to watch something, I don't want to have to sit there and configure my stuff, update it, all that kind of stuff. I just want to watch something. And so for me, it's worth the extra money to just be able to walk up to it and just use it yep. and be and confidently. Yeah. So, I mean, if your peace of mind is worth anything, if you put any value on that, I'd say it's worth the extra money. Yeah. That's You work hard. You, you work hard enough troubleshooting work stuff why would you want to just try to save a few bucks here and there just to do the same thing for right. home stuff and if I mean, if you, I mean if you do the math i mean I, like i said i've had this current mac mini for what eight years yeah you've got plenty of usage uh, right and you know if i bought one of the current ones and, and in fact maybe i'll just wait because i'm not i'm in no rush really mm-hmm. and so if they come out with a new one i can't i mean if they're going to it's got to be somewhat soon right and so I'll, maybe I'll just well, what does uh mac rumors say They've got their thumb on well, it. I don't know. I'm sure it says don't buy. Uh, the Mac Buyer's Guide, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's Mac Buyer's Guide, yeah. I'm sure it says don't buy. What I don't know is if it if they know when something will be coming out. Let's see, Macs. Yeah, Mac Mini, don't buy. Yeah, big, big <laughs> 790 red. days since the last release. What are the rumors? Um, there, there's on, there are no rumors. There are no rumors. Mac Minis, right? Well... Renewed focus on iPad left the Mac behind this year. Yeah, well, that's obvious. <laughs> so who knows if we're going to get a new one? This might be your last shot to get one. Yeah. 
And, the, and here's what else I noticed, because I looked at used ones. They are not selling at much of a discount off of new. And they really keep the resale no value. To. I guess so. Right. And there's no new new shiny new version to, right. to spend extra money on. Right. I think what happened is a lot of people bought these and they had a specific use for them and then now they don't and they're like, well, I want to try to get my money back for this. Yep. And they're selling them. Yep. They bought it to, to be a backup and they're not, <laughs> they haven't had to use a backup in a while. Right. Yeah, so I don't know. I'll have to solve this at some point, but I don't know. Maybe I'll just wait. So doesn't doesn't um, doesn't Plex run on something like Roku or something like that? Um, Plex will run on certain th- so Windows, Mac. It'll uh, okay. The Plex Media Server will run on a lot of things. It'll run on my Synology, mm. like embedded things. But the media, or they they changed the name of it. Well, they used to have Plex Home Theater that end of life, and now it's Plex Media Player. That's the that's the software that actually plays. That's the player, right? Not the server. It's the player. Okay. Yeah. And that's what is more limited. Um, they do have it on there. It's on their roadmap, but it's been there for like a year now to support um, Linux, specifically Ubuntu. Mm. So I don't know. Maybe I'll just, uh, I guess I'm not in a hurry. It sounds like it's, I feel like the answer right now is just, I don't know. If I'm not in a hurry, just wait. So what is there? Is there a specific pain point? Like you're not getting the resolution you want, or it's just that quirkiness? No, it's of- like, so my kids watch certain things on Amazon video, and it just, like every 10 seconds pauses for about a half second, which is doesn't sound that annoying, but it's incredibly annoying, actually. Well, you could always get an Amazon uh, fire, fire stick. Fire stick. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a hundred bucks, but that's true. It might it solve that problem at least temporarily. Right. Until you can really figure out how you want to set up your media. Yep. In fact, I think I have what I'm not using. Really? <laughs> I'd be able to give it to you at discount. <laughs> oh. 50 bucks. That's so so generous of you, John. <laughs> Maybe I'll give it to you for Christmas. Okay. <laughs> Here's a fire stick I'm right. using. It's got a little dust on it from sitting in the back of the TV for. It's probably been, it's probably it plugged into that Mac Mini you have under your shoes in your closet. No, there's a TV where that Mac Mini is supposed to be plugged into, but I never connected it to. But it's there's a TV in our craft room. All right, well we should go um, check out our Slack channel. We're nice. We're we're, we're informative. We're funny. Um, there's actually quite a bit of funny stuff <laughs> in that channel. It's good entertainment. Leave us a review. iTunes is good. It helps us. It's uh, plus I enjoy reading them. I do too. Good I, or bad, I, I enjoy reading. I them. do too. It really, it really warms the heart when people leave reviews. That's just the truth. And, and let us know if if uh, Good Day Sir Alt Conference is a is a thing you guys want to experience. And then uh, finally, this mysterious recommend thing in in Overcast. We have a lot of uh, we have like five hundred Overcast people, um, users. Yeah. Yeah, they're listeners. They're they're members. Members. They're members. Um, and yeah, I don't know what it does, but it, I think it. I know it's got to help somehow or another. It's got to help. In fact, I th- I looked in Overcast. If you search Salesforce, we're like mm-hmm. the first thing that comes up. So that's I think it plays into that. Maybe. So yeah, it has to right. And and on every and on each episode, you can recommend the episodes. Click on the little eye on the episode and just click the recommend. It's got a little heart there, so it's even it's lovely. Click it. We would greatly appreciate that too, and hopefully we'll find out more about what that does. But it's got to be good. It can't be bad. That would make no sense. Can't, <laughs> it can't make sense? No. If it did something bad, that would make no sense. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Well, and to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. It is dramatically overpriced. It's too expensive. Please clap. Nope.